Hey everybody, it's the wrap up for season six time. We've brought along a whole bunch of awesome guests and we're here to close out the season and have a great time doing it. Reviewing all of the best moments, taking questions from you all. There's a bunch of great questions you all submitted and we're eager to answer those and have fun with those. One of the best things about Game of Thrones and one of the great things about the wait between books and seasons is that this community has developed. We have so many great people making content, making podcasts, videos, essays, blogs, etc., just contributing to the fandom. It's really great, the thing that we have here. And so from time to time, when opportunity presents itself, it really is awesome to just bring in other people that we know and love throughout the community to join us for what makes this fandom so great, just chatting about it with friends. That's what we're all here to do right now, like you all do with your friends back at home and at work and around the water cooler or whatever, wherever you discuss Game of Thrones. The water cooler, what a dated reference that is. <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah, around the well. <laughs> around the uh, around the, the Keurig, the coffee maker, right? That's that's a little more modern. So anyway, let's let everyone introduce themselves. Like I said, we've got a, a great group. Well, there's seven of us. Maybe we could figure out, you know, no one wants to. I'll be the crone. Um, I've been. I think I've been in the fandom the longest, so I can be the crone because no. Hey, one, I got dibs no on the stranger. <laughs> the warrior, I take the warrior. <laughs> so, well, I was gonna say we could fight over that. No one wants to fight the warrior over that. Uh -huh. So, yeah, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't fight over that. Anyway, let's so let's go around the horn. Let everybody introduce themselves. We'll start with Radio Westeros. You guys who have been watching, anyone who's been watching us all season long is familiar with Radio Westeros. But it's it's good to have an intro anyway. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Yeah, really hey. good to be here. <laughs> Hello. That always happens. We each create that like little pause and then he starts. starts. Yeah. It's good to be back for this wrap up and with right your on. with our other guests too. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And welcome back, Tony Teflon. We had you on last year and I just, just did a, a, an episode on Robert's channel with you last night. We're getting uh, we're getting to be old pros at this, huh? No doubt, no doubt. Thank you for having me back. My name is Tony Teflon the Don. I was here last year. I'm happy to be here with everybody. I listen to everybody's stuff, so it's just really just an honor to be here with everyone. A real big privilege. And what up to everyone who left questions? I see sixteen pluses on questions. Amazing. This is amazing. Right on. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, good questions that we've got coming. We'll get to them in just a minute. Uh, next up, we have Mikhail Schick from Vassals of Kingsgrave. And you had me back on, uh, what was it called? Uh, Game oh, of, Game of, of Ha. Of, of ha a couple years yeah. back. So, yeah, we had some good times on that show. Yeah. Nice to be here. I love everyone's work as well. Awesome. All right. And, of course, we have Lucifer Means Lightbringer. For people who have watched our book-only episodes are familiar with you, and some, of course, are familiar with your podcast as well. So welcome back, David. Yes. Thanks for having me. And may I just send this message on behalf of the Baphomet? Keep learning science, kids. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. I approve this message. <laughs> also, thanks to our... Dragon Riders, Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow in Winterfell, Rider of Mazalakartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Also, Rory the Subduer and Tamer of the Last of Valyria, Rider of Wrath Race, a silver gold dragon with violet eyes, talons, and horns. Look at me getting good at saying that name. That is a hard name to say. Also, thanks to Jeff Gnarly the Longsnapper, our History of Westeros first sword. So, 
We've got a lot to talk about. One last thing before we get started. A few of us are one of the along the lines of my spiel about Game of Thrones being an awesome community. One of the things that makes it fun is the conventions. There's a lot of conventions that are really fun to go to where there's just a lot of Game of Thrones people. It's just like really being amongst your kindred. And Ashay and I have a couple of appearances coming up. We're going to be going to Tucson is our next one. Tucson in Tucson. That's kind of hard to say. <laughs> oh, that's in, of course, Arizona. And George R. R. Martin will be there. That I think sold out. I think tickets to that one are sold. Yeah, tickets to that one are sold out. So hopefully, y'all got anyone who's who was interested got a ticket for that. Also, highly recommend Ice and Fire Con. That's next year in April. A bunch of us will be there. That is an all. A lot of these cons just have. Game of Thrones is a part of it, but this is an entirely Ice and Fire convention, and well, yeah, hence the name, right? Uh, it kind of says it all. And, and we're going to be there. If you're a fan of uh, podcast Ice and Fire, at least two of the hosts will be there, possibly more. They're working on it. Awesome, and a yeah, lot so. of the vassals as well. They're kind and of like Radio Westeros. You guys are planning on being there too, right? I am most likely going to be there. I am. Trying to figure out a way to cross an ocean for naught pounds. Swim. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he can just catch a ride on Mazla Cartho or Raz Rath Race. <laughs> or, or with Gendry, perhaps. Throw <laughs> <laughs> you across. <laughs> this right. grab an oar. Advertised. <laughs> help, help a brother out. Grab an oar, man. Gee whiz. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he's probably tired. You're right. Okay, so we have a lot of good questions. We have some that are here in the Q&A app. We also have some that people have sent through email, through Patreon, through Twitter, through Facebook, through all the different ways that exist to send questions. And we're also, last year we did what was a, a bit of a, what we called the award show. And that was fun, but the one drawback with that is it's not very insightful for us to tell you who our favorite actor was. It's fun, but we're, and we're going to do some of that, but we don't want to do a whole show of that because we have this awesome group here, and just hearing who your favorites were, we can do better than that. You know, we can do we can get into some some interesting diving deep into the material and, and put out something a little more insightful. So, but we'll still do some of the fun awardee stuff as well. Just we won't do that for the whole time. All right. So that said. I'm going to start with one of those simpler, easier questions like that. Let's go with, since this is a book reader episode, let's ask, let's go around the horn and name a death that happened in the show that's not going to happen in The Winds of Winter. This is one of the fun things is to try to pick apart what the show, where the show and books diverge. Because I know as book readers, we all prefer to not be spoiled. It's not necessarily the biggest deal. But... When we, when we know we haven't been spoiled, that's definitely better. And so pointing out when we think we haven't been spoiled is important because sometimes it's not easy to tell, right? Okay, so I'm going to nominate Osha, Hodor, Rickon, Doran Martell, Ario Hota, the Blackfish, Roos, Ramsey, and the Waif. So that's, I think I just said ten names. Uh, Those nine names. So around the horn... We'll start with David. Name one of those characters. Which which one of those is your top pick of someone who won't die in the Winds of Winter? Out of that, uh, I'm definitely gonna have to go with Ario Hota. He went out like a total punk. 
And that ain't, <laughs> that ain't not going to happen in the books at all. I mean, he just stood there. We've gotten like two whole chapters of Ario's inner monologue of like, I will kill anyone who looks at me at all. And then he just like stands there and gets knifed without even taking a swing. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> I, I like that answer. Okay, uh, Lady Gwen, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with the waif. <laughs> I think all the rest of those people are, are uh, you know, fair game. So. <laughs> Especially if we extend it out beyond wins. I mean, ultimately. Uh, yeah, going beyond wins makes it a little harder because I think I agree. Like, Roos and Ramsey, both of them surviving the whole series? Ah, kind of mm -hmm. doubt it. Mm -hmm. Hodor probably going to, you know, I could see Hodor dying eventually, but maybe not. Anyway. All right, Mikal, what do you think? I, you know, I, I'm also going to say the waif. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think Roos is already dead in the books or very Ooh. soon uh, to be. Um, so, yeah, there they really, really isn't that conflict with the waif that, that is kind of powering the show from better or worse. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I choose her. I think, I think she'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, what's Ooh. your call here? Yeah, I think they will all die. I don't think they will die like they died in the show. I think the only one on the list that has a chance of living is, is the Waif. I don't think the Waif will die at all, but everyone else on the list is definitely going to die. In the Ooh, all right. Bloody. All right. <laughs> Yuck boy, what's your take? Yeah, I'm going to be totally original and say the Waif. <laughs> um, like Mikhail was saying, you know, there isn't a driving force behind the waste plotline that there is in the show to the books. So, I, you know, I don't see any reason to kill her. I think that when Arya leaves, the waif will just be left behind. I think I agree with that. I think that she, there's no reason to have any conflict there. The waif is just one of the, is not a trainee in the book. She's the same level as so-called Jaken, as far as being a full-fledged faceless man, as far as we can tell. And yeah, there's not even a hint of a conflict between between Arya and her. So yeah, and who else would kill the waif in the shit? Like, what's the dragon gonna come and burn the whole house of black and white or something mm -hmm. like that? Not very likely. Shay, what do you think? Well, I was going to say the waif this entire time, <laughs> but uh, when I think Boring. about it, I think it's possible Osha won't die after all. George said how much he liked her character, how much he was going to expand on her character uh, more than he previously was going to. So. Maybe Rickon dies, but she lives. That's okay. my answer. That's a good one. I'm gonna. I like that answer because I think it's. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of it, and I think Osha. You know, it, it's not going to necessarily be Rickon's story. Will probably be a lot different too. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Umbers aren't going to turn on him. You know, that that mm -hmm. part is almost certainly different. So I, I think I like both the answers of the Waif and, and Osha, and I can I don't have enough confidence to pick a different one myself. I think out of the leftover ones, I think maybe Blackfish is probably not going to survive the whole series, but I could see him lasting through the winds of winter. Um, I kind of hope so, anyway. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a question from the... That's like the most upvoted question here, which is from Ashley Regar. Should you explain how to get to the question? Oh, sure, yes, folks. If you are watching live here, there's a Q&A button on the video player. You can click on that. And you can see all the questions. You can upvote them, and you can submit your own. Yeah. So, yeah. So, here we go from Ashley Gar. How would Catelyn feel knowing the truth of Jon's heritage and her poor-slash-uncaring treatment of him was based on a lie and that Ned felt the need to hide the truth from her for all those years? Basically, what would Catelyn say or feel if she knew the truth? Would it affect her any differently? Hmm. Tough question. I'll say, in the show, we already got Catelyn feeling guilt over her treatment about him. 
That's a good point. <laughs> All because I never loved a motherless child. Yeah, that was a weird piece of dialogue there. That was, was yeah, awful. a little out of place. Yeah. <laughs> there was like they were trying to salvage Catelyn's storyline a bit, and they just kind of missed. They just kind of made it worse. <laughs> what was funny is that it was really good acting. Like, she delivered the lines so well, but you're just going, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, but what? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have a different take there, or is that uh, kind of where kind of where it needs to be left? <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. I think she's she's probably gonna feel guilt. I will say she does have a glimmer of guilt in the books on one occasion. Um, so perhaps that would expand if she I knew think, the truth. I think she would overall understand it because it's so fitting of Ned's character, and she knows Ned. She'd probably mm -hmm. feel like. Guilty for maybe having doubted him. But, I mean, she was told that he cheated on her, so it's not really her fault for believing that. Yeah. But she'd probably feel happy about it, knowing that he was faithful and was doing something more honorable than it appeared. Overall, I would think that would be satisfying. And now he's still... So go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I kind of think she might be angry about it. I mean, I, I kind of feel... I, don't, I certainly don't think she'd feel guilty, considering that she was... Catelyn's not really somebody who regrets acting on the information that she has at the time. I, don't, I mean, that's not my impression of her. That's and, true. you know, this is like, it's, it's all on Ned. And we know that Ned did things for reasons, but, you know, whether or not those reasons are justified, I think, is debatable. And I think Catelyn would be left with a lot of questions of trust and, you know, like, the, the questions she has now, which is like Ned's faithfulness, are kind of now moved into a spiritual realm instead of a, like, did he cheat on me realm, you know, about the, the close relationship he has with his sister and, and all that, and, like, you couldn't trust me with this, like, most important secret that you kind of destroyed our lives for just a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think Catelyn would be in a good mood. After yeah, that. that's, She's that's never, very, so it's fine. Yeah, that's a very good point, because she, she you know, was it, it's one thing to feel angry with him for something he did when they barely knew each other, when they were first married, but to think that after they you know, had been married all these years, he still couldn't trust her, um, I would imagine that's kind of... That's I mean, kinda... I'm still mad at him for that, too. It's also interesting to consider like a subversion of this question where what if Lady Stoneheart learns this? Like, what is she, cap is she capable of... <laughs> you know, changing gears in this yeah. state, you know? I don't know if she can, if that she's capable of remorse in this in this being that she is now or feeling so. these nuanced emotions. It's not really clear, but maybe she'll act as certainly, you know, it'll affect how she, what she does. It's really hard to say, because who, who even knows what Lady Stoneheart's going to do in the long run or what her arc entails? But I think that's a good, a good side question. Yeah, well, yeah, revenge is certainly the. <laughs> the yeah, I don't think I don't think she can change her opinion on that. I don't think she. She's kind of a one solution that. problem solver. Yeah, and how would we know anyway? We can't see inside her head. She can't exactly talk. It's not like Sorry. she's like on. Get a rope. Yeah, get a rope. Yeah, she's one of those like yeah, one of those microphones for the throat. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next question. Can I just say that whenever I read Stoneheart, I always think of uh, South Park with the dude that has to, like, talk through his throat, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's do another one of these guys over here. One of the questions for everyone. Let's say 
let's name something. What we call, I think Lady Gwynn and I term this, I don't know who came up with this phrase. I, I think it might have been you, Lady Gwynn, who coined the phrase book reader blind spot, <laughs> which is something in the show that maybe is sort of we should have caught. Maybe we, we'll go ahead and say we should have caught this, but we didn't, and it's, we believe it's because we filled in the gaps with our book reader information, and that caused us to miss something that was a show-only thing. Um, I'll, make, I'll, I'll suggest one here and see if anyone else has a good one. My suggestion was... Sandor coming up, you know, saying he's going north and the possibilities of what he can say to Sansa about Littlefinger and about his betrayal, uh, bet I almost said betraying, betraying her father. Ned, finding out about Ned or what Littlefinger did to Ned is something that Sandor was in the throne room for and, you know, maybe, I mean, I suspect Cat Sansa already knows that, some, that Littlefinger betrayed her, but he may not know, she may not know, like, to what extent. And et cetera. So I think that's a pretty good one. Do you guys have any other ones? Who's got another one? Yeah, I think that I think that Theon one was where we originally thought of this this concept. Theon being able to tell Tyrion about Sansa and Danny about Ned Stark being a good man in place of Barristan. Mm. Something we've never thought of happening in the show. Because in your mind, you're just thinking someone else is doing that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. there you go. It's a little difference in the show. So, Right on. Anyone else have one? Uh, yeah, what about, what about... Sorry. Oh, no problem. You go ahead, Yopo. Okay. What about uh, Brienne meeting Melisandre? Because obviously uh, Brienne had some beef with Stannis over Renly, but um, I don't think anyone put together the you know, scenario of Brienne... Melisandre, of course, birthed the shadow baby that killed Renly. So that's that's a good one. Yeah, we totally missed that. I wanted some people. We, we reviewed that episode, and afterwards, some people were like, "Hey, what about this?" And we we're like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> and then it happened. You're like, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> Brienne Davos, how about that? How about uh, Cold Hands Benjen? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really thought that the way they rolled those together worked really well for the show, but I totally didn't see that coming. Because we've been, you know, told that Cold Hands isn't Benjen. Uh, and then so when he showed up and it was like, well, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Cold Hands or Benjen? It's like, oh, well, it's both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a surprise that we didn't maybe see coming because of that. And I thought it worked out really well. Right on. Yeah, Shay, you have one too? No, I, I, it was just the, it was just Brienne and... Oh, okay, you had the same one. Cool, right on. Good suggestions, everyone. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know if there's a... If it's because of a blind spot or just because they didn't write it well, but I didn't see uh, this girl going down there and stabbing Doran Martell at all. So I don't know if you want to say it's a blind spot or it's just because it wasn't not supposed to happen or it's never going to happen. But that's, something, uh, that's something I didn't see coming. And I didn't see Marjorie getting blown up by Cersei either. I've I never seen that happening or Mace getting blown up in that situation at all. Yeah, that was that was something. <laughs> that was all very surprising. <laughs> you probably didn't see the uh, assassination of the entire House Martell coming because that does not make any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really. Yeah, I the whole. I would actually, I would say, um, like the reveal of Hodor's name, because I, I for like all this time, I don't think I considered that that would be something we would learn through the tree visions, that it was all just like super important grand story stuff, not something as simple as how Hodor got, got his name. So that to me was like a real like, oh, of course they were going to use it in this way, but because Hodor can't tell them. 
<laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, let's take another question from the audience. From yeah, that one's good. All right. Please discuss the book taboo on warging into people from Veramir Prologue as relates to Bran warging into Hodor in show versus books. Is the way Bran ruined Hodor's life Whoa. <laughs> one <laughs> example of why warging people is forbidden among skin changers? Well, that's a good question. We are told by Veramir in the prologue of A Dance of Dragons that it's an abomination to try to take over a human, uh, but he doesn't really say why. And this is what the secret Darklin, who is the, the asker of this question, is wanting us to get into. And also, I think what we can tie into this is the possibility of how warging works and the differences between book and show. In the books we've seen, Bran, at this point, has he done anything besides Worgen to his direwolves and ravens and Hodor? Has there been anything else? I don't think there is. Okay, no one else has anything else, so I guess not. <laughs> so, uh, that also, so that also brings up the question of you know, whether he can warg into a dragon uh, and things like that, whether that's even possible. Uh, what do you guys think? Is it, like, is it immoral to do? Is that why it's forbidden? Or is, do you think there's something else going on? Maybe it has to do with some sort of ancient, you know taboo from the really old days? Oh, I'm not really sure how to answer this question. No, I think it's just simply immoral that it's, you know, yeah, a kind of desecration of a basic human right that you're taking over someone's, you know, consciousness and taking over their body. And the way it's described in the books, Hodor's cowering, you know, when it's happening. And he, he doesn't know what's going on. And he's, he's kind of hiding in his own mind. And it's it's obviously a violation of the self. Yeah, it's a little rapey. Yeah. <laughs> Every, yeah. Everything, everything that Brand's done when he walks is an abomination. He's done. He's broken every rule of uh, broken every rule of walking. So uh, I don't know what 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 it is, but he does everything bad. Bad. He's eaten flesh as as a wolf. He's done everything that he's not supposed to do. You know, I, except for mate. He hasn't made it with anybody yet. And the wolf. <laughs> so the only. The only thing he hasn't done that's been forbidden is to raise the dead, and I think that's coming. Ooh, yeah. wow. You know, it, 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 it occurs to me that the taking over of someone's body is not all that different than slavery. And, of course, Westeros has a huge anti-slavery tradition, so that might those two concepts may have some similar moral anchoring. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that's, this is a good answer there. Oh, you want to take on that? Yeah, I was just thinking... I don't know if you want to connect these two, but it did occur to me that the uh, the scene where we find out how the White Walkers were made is it's not warging, but it is taking over someone's body with magical means and using them for a different purpose. And obviously, that went a little bit wrong. Um, so I'm I mean I I do think it's primarily just like icky, but I think there it's possible there's also a threat of like you don't want to you don't want to mess with humanity that way because it's just it, like blending humanity and magic because it's just not going to turn out well. That's a good para, uh, good parallel because the, the children were being killed off and so they made they they did something immoral to save their existence and Bran sort of it's a microcosm of what Bran did with Hodor. He saved himself and he may have you know maybe was saving mankind in the process by you know throwing making someone else be a sacrifice for him. 
Yeah, I think the whole thing with Brandon Holdor was to show that he can go back into time and affect the past. Mm. I think it was mostly meant to show that more than him taking over the body of a human, which he did. But that was just a conduit to get to the point where he can go back into the past and affect the past. I think it was more meant for that. So and that's actually... So that's actually the point I wanted to make. Uh, sorry, Tony. Uh, what I was going to say is I think the bigger prohibition here is time travel. I think that messing with the timeline is what really, really has consequences. That's what screwed Hodor up. That's a good point. Yeah, it's just the, the, the warging and the time travel, whatever whatever to call that uh, event, that certainly ruined Hodor. <laughs> Because I was thinking about this, like, time travel is such a Pandora's box. After that episode came out, everyone was freaking out, like, oh, well, that means Bran drove the Mad King crazy, and Bran did this, and Bran did everything, and Bran's actually the first Bran the Builder. And, like, there's no limit to it. And I think that the, in, the sensible limit that Martin will introduce is that even the slightest bit of messing with the timeline has horrific consequences. So I imagine that, like, in the show, reality... Brand's probably never going to do that again. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll say if he does, well, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what consequences it has. Or if he's forced to, if he's like in a spot of desperation where he's like, well, we're all going to die unless I do this. Uh, exactly, exactly. It would have to be that desperate. I, so I think the, the natural restraint mechanism for time travel is going to be just really severe consequences, essentially. Okay, good question from the Secret Darklin. Let's go on to the next one. Let's see. Um, let's do this one here. From Guillaume Esquia. How do you see Tommen dying in the books? From what we saw, suicide seems a bit far-fetched, considering his age, personality, and so on. I was thinking that Cersei would accidentally kill him while burning the rest of them, but maybe you have a better idea. Uh, that is a very popular theory. Um, I don't think we need to rehash it. We've talked about it in our episode closing, but this is a good opportunity to see if anyone else has a different take. I definitely agree that suicide... For from a, what he's is he nine now is extremely unlikely, and so we have to look for other possibilities because I think we all probably would agree. Now speak up if you don't. The Tommen is doomed in one way or another. Uh, he wasn't on my list of people that would probably survive Twow that did die in the show <laughs> for a reason. So, anyone have a different take on how Tommen might might bite the dust? I don't know how he will, but I know it has to be Cersei's fault. When he dies, uh, yeah. it definitely has to be something to do it. I can't give exactly how, but it definitely would be her fault. And it and it can't be this way because we see in the in the Mercy chapter, it doesn't seem that time instead in that I chapter. I agree. And here's the other thing: I, I have one possibility, and I think it's a bit remote. So it sounds like we don't. We're all mostly on the page of wildfire or something. We just don't know. One other possibility I have is. The idea that the mountain gets out of control somehow. The I love the parallel to the children of the forest creating the others and then apparently losing control of them because they clearly aren't in charge of them anymore. Or if they are, it's some hidden other group of children that are not attached to right. the main group. And that's just all. We get too dig a, big of a rabbit hole. But the idea of your creation getting out of control and doing damage or causing harm that, you know, against its initial goal would fit the mountain pretty well. You know, you've got a, some little necromancer guy, Kyber, and doing his thing, and his creation gets out of control and goes nuts and starts killing people. I, I always uh, thought it would be Tyene Sand. Tyene? Oh, yeah. You know, I totally forgot about Tyene. See, this is why I oh, need I to like that. I like that. Again. 
<laughs> all of us need to do it. It's like after every TV season, we should all just read the books again, just to just <laughs> break through the haze and get it all clear again. I tell, yeah, tie-in is actually a really strong answer there. I think. Um, I, yeah, I don't think the Sand Snakes are going to cooperate with Doran as much as he as he thought. Because I mean, Oberyn, that's the same thing. He's like, I'm going to send Oberyn to King's Landing, and Oberyn's going to we're going to work together. And Oberyn did his own thing, and these are his daughters. I mean, are... <laughs> I don't know that it'll even necessarily be her working against Doran. I think it's possible that that'll be the moment to strike. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a good point. Yeah. Just in general, I just don't expect Tyene and and Nim to. You know, play nice. <laughs> they may do a little, may 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 work off the script a little bit. <laughs> well, that's the irony of the whole uh, Ariane Doran dynamic is that Ariane thinks she can use Darkstar when that's really stupid, but Doran's basically making similar mistakes. So, that's <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> he really took it. See, he, he's interesting how seriously Doran took them swearing an oath on the Red Viper's grave. Like, Arya Hotad notices, like, the tension goes out of Doran when they take the oath. It's like, do you really think the oath means that much to them? I guess it might, but all might. of them? Like, maybe one or two of them, but, like, all four of them? Uh, I don't know. So, or wait, three of them, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so that's, that's a good question. Um, let's see, what else we have? Let's, get, let's go on to the next one. Should we take one of our... Yeah, let's take one from the document here. Let's do... Uh, scroll down. Okay, here we go. Will Howland Reed matter in the show? I think he's going to matter in the books. We've all... George has predicted... or Not predicted, but told us that we'd see him eventually. So we're pretty sure he's going to not come, on, come into the books just to do nothing. But the show... I don't know that we need him in the show because we've got Bran. What, what do you guys think? Is there... A need for him, or would it yeah, be because we have Mira, and because we saw him in the vision. Those would be the points in favor. I don't know if that means conclusively, but those are the points in favor. Okay. And, and they did stress his name to Blood Raven, Mira's father. Mira's father. Right. Right. When he said it. Yeah, I agree. I think it it matter. It depends on how 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 streamlined they really are, because like the 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 tighter the stream is, and I guess if we're not having as many episodes, it might be really streamlined. Um, but I I do sort of struggle to to think what Mira's point is. Like, I've been wondering this for, uh, for a while, actually. Like, she drags Bran all the way up north, and then she drags him back, you know, and loses a couple things along the way. Uh, so, yeah, so I think it would be, if they are interested in giving her an arc and have some time to do that, it would be really helpful to see Howland and, like, have him tie everything together with the house, uh, the um, Tower of Joy. There's too many, like, house, towers, places <laughs> of the world. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I, I hope so, because I think that would be really cool for us. That would be another little, like, droplet in, in our bucket. Um, <laughs> but who knows? I think that's a great point. I think it would wrap up Mira's arc really nicely. I think it would make sense, too, for her to get to the neck or for Howland to leave the neck either way. And it would make sense for her to tell him about Jojen's death. You might need someone to corroborate, you know, the story about what if Bran is going to be the one to reveal to, to John his true parentage, etc. You might need someone out there that can 
convince other people, might need someone that can be like, yeah, that's true, et cetera. I don't know how much right. weight Alan Reed's word would carry, but he is a lord. It's got to carry a little bit of weight, especially among northerners. It's going to carry more weight than Bran's fucking weirwood vision. Like, <laughs> hey, guys, yeah. I ate this paste in this cave when the north, and then I saw this thing, and, like, John's the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many how many people does he really have to convince i mean who does he have to hold weight to really just danny and Tyrion and them. everyone else really doesn't matter what they think so if they if he can get to convince them to believe him that's really all he needs to convince that's a good well point. Yeah. well john primarily too. <laughs> and you know it occurs to me that the show it's obvious to us but the show hasn't really slam dunked rhaegar targaryen as the father um, so that could be Holland's place in the show to really clarify that uh, for the people that haven't read all the books and have all these theories in their heads. That's a very good point because we we have I don't know that we're going to go back to the Tower of Joy again to hear mm -hmm. the name that was whispered or to hear, you know, oh by the way, yeah, Rhaegar didn't rape me or something like that. You know, that's yeah. just yeah, I think that's done. We're not going back to the Tower of Joy. We're not going to see the the epilogue to the Tower of Joy, we're going to see, it's going to come some other way, that reveal. Yeah, I and, think we'll see Night of the Laughing Tree, Tower of Joy, Ooh, that would be awesome. I don't know if I expect it, but uh, now that you've mentioned it, I'm... I'm it'd, be a big set. It. it'd be a big piece for them to film, bigger than any of the other flashbacks they've done so far, like a whole new... I mean, they have hair and all. I mean, I guess. So. That would be really cool well, to that, see another... It could be uh, like a test, uh, test run for the whole, like... Idea of doing a prequel series, you know, from 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. So that's actually a pretty good question. Um, I'll throw that in here. I don't know if anyone's actually asked it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out here for everybody. If they do, and it's maybe not even a question of if, because it seems like they will want to keep the Game of Thrones money faucet running, what do you guys think is... I don't know whether to ask whether it should be the most likely or the one you'd most like to see. I'll just say which one you'd most like to see. Which is the one you'd most like to see? What HBO Game of Thrones spinoff topic would you like to see made into the next show or maybe movie, miniseries, whatever it is they want to do? Dancing uh, Dragons. Okay, Tony, not jumping in there with a the good one. I like that idea. That would be some CGI budget, but I, it would be amazing. <laughs> uh, Yoke Boy, what do you got? I would love to see something on The Last Long Night, and I think it's good territory because nothing's been written about it, so they could explore it how they wanted, whereas, you know, something like Duncan Egg is problematic because George has barely, barely written a series, whereas something like The Last Long Night, they could just make it their own kind of thing. I agree with that. All right, Mikhail, what about you? Um, well, I think it's kind of cute that you guys think that, like, Dunkin' Egg isn't a problem just because there's three books. It's like, we've done this before, guys. They'll just do all the other ones and promise us that they're not going to spoil anything. Uh, you know. By the way, it ends in Summer Hall. OMG. Um, um, I, I, I'm going to be super boring and say I do think that um, as many uh, issues as I have with Game of Thrones, I think... Robert's Rebellion and the lead up to it would be really cool. I don't know how long they could stretch it out for, but we we all know how rich and intense the conflict is in there. And and when they and when George has provided them with that kind of conflict, they've done really well. So yeah, I I think and and you know, Liana as a as a great female lead, I think that could be really cool. Um, 
I, I don't know if it'll happen because it is such a small thing, you know, but but I'd, I'd, I'd watch it. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'd be all over that. All right, uh, Lady Gwen, what about you? Well, I'm going to say Duncan Egg because I think, um, you know, those are, as short stories, they function individually. So I could, I could see them just, they could even make up their own stories afterwards. And, and it would, may or may not be spoilery. Who knows if George would give them more information, but they could just take that and turn it into a couple of seasons of, that would be cool. To see we some, that. some new child star to be Egg, some kid to shave his head and be all smart assy. <laughs> Dunkin' uh, Eggs, spend a season in a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> you can answer, yeah, I can answer Tyrion's riddle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, LML, what do you think? So I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with uh, Mikal and say uh, Robert's Rebellion because I think it would work the best for television. When you look at what works on television, um, I don't think. As much as I'd love to see the Dance of the Dragons like fully realized in CGI, it's like mostly dragon fights and giant <laughs> fires and huge decimating armies. I think that Robert's Rebellion has a lot more of that subtle political intrigue and heated dialogue and intense characters that would really come to life on the miniseries. Because you have to remember, game, the reason why Game of Thrones was even made, in part, I think, is because the whole BBC mini-drama thing has been big for a while. And Game of Thrones captured on just enough of that kind of like really nice set costume and certain kinds of dialogue, certain kinds of political tension to feed that, like to sort of hit that audience, but then also bring in the whole fantasy and epic thing and, and expand on that. My wife consumes BBC miniseries like, like nobody's business, so I've, <laughs> I've seen a few of them. But so I think Robert's Rebellion uh, is, is sort of tailor-made for that kind of thing. Cher, what about you? You should go first. Mine's better than all of yours. Oh, she's got the best one. Well, I'm going to also say Robert's Rebellion. I think, and I won't repeat anything uh, that's already been said, but I'll add to say that the familiarity of those characters is a big selling point. You know, you get Ned Stark, Lyanna, Robert, you even get Stannis. And yeah, yeah. Some of these other characters, you get you get Mace Tyrell. You can have you can have Sam's father. You get all these characters that people are already familiar with. So, I'm, I'm I could probably think of something I'd rather see. But as far as logistics, I think that's the most likely one. And I I'm not. You didn't ask most likely. I did say I didn't ask most likely, but I I I, I, I drift towards it anyway. You know <laughs> I yeah. Okay, go ahead. Hit us all with right. your your big your big power. I think here. you know Aziz. Do you know? I do. I've forgotten. Nymeria's Migration. Oh, yeah. perfect, like, yeah. miniseries. It would be so good. If you think about what Nymeria's life was like, you, ha you start off with, like, really beautiful life in the Rhoyne, which would be really cool to see, and you could have political intrigue in there, introduce your mm -hmm. characters, mm -hmm. and then by the end of the first season they've been destroyed by the Valyrians, so you get massive, large-scale fighting um, with water magic, fire magic, dragons, the characters you've grown to know and love, all killed, <laughs> except for Nymeria, who gets away with some of the people that we've been introduced to. They would have to come up with new characters, obviously, and then she hits, like, every spot you'd ever want them to hit. She goes to Sothorio, she goes to Noth, she stops in the Summer Islands, then you... And then by the time she finally gets to Dorne, you still have a whole, like, multiple series 
multiple seasons Dornish conquest, yeah. of the Dornish conquest and her marriages and her life, and it would be really epic. It would have everything you could ever want, except for familiar characters. I changed my vote to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shay has won me over too. She makes a great point. All those different phases would make for like different kinds of seasons, and you get to do the whole Valerian uh, battle and the grayscale and. Yeah. yeah, Jamestown in Sithorios, or Roanoke, rather, I guess, in Sithorios. <laughs> yeah, they get Yeen, yeah. The yeah. Y- 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 James Yeen, Yeen Town. <laughs> that was pretty good, Ashea. That was pretty good. That's good stuff. I've thought about a lot about like what the arcs would be for each season, you know, where it would end. And there's just, uh, it's just got really it's like good compartmentalized yeah. really well. Yeah, you got the Sithorios season, then you got the Summer Isle season, then you got the Doran season. Yeah, that's really, or maybe two seasons of Doran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think multiple, yeah. Maybe three, or however long they want to go. Yeah, to go good until she dies. For sure. We get I mean, to see uh, Vorian Dane, Sword of the Evening. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's just, this is a great idea. Let's just spend the rest of this episode <laughs> talking about the <laughs> Outline this, this series. <laughs> no, I don't think it's very likely, but I think it's likely, I think Game of Thrones, I think A Song of Ice and Fire will be a brand for decades, for a lo- forever. Yeah. I think it will keep going, and so I think, yeah, maybe 20 years from now we'll get this. Maybe I don't think we'll, it's gonna be soon. when we're when we're all in our 80s. <laughs> well, you know, we're not all that maybe not that no, close no. To, in, in, in age, but when we're all in our very in our twilight years, perhaps we'll have this huge <laughs> library of Game of Thrones products to watch. Yeah, like <laughs> well, all we can hope for is that it doesn't reach the Star Wars stage where everyone's just hoping George Lucas isn't involved anymore. In the next <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just okay. imagining us pulling out the book versions of whatever it is and going like, wait, that detail was different, though. <laughs> <laughs> it says here the blocks of Yeen are the size of a crofter's village. <laughs> well, that's way bigger. <laughs> that's good. Okay, another question from the audience. Let's do Real Peterman there. Okay. Real Peterman. Beside him stood a shadow in woman's form, long and tall and terrible, her hands alive with pale white fire. Do you think uh, Euron and Cersei team up just on the show? Can you see D&D staying true to book Euron? Well, that line is from the Forsaken chapter, The Winds of Winter. Sorry if that's a mild spoiler. Uh, there will be some other mild spoilers in this episode because it's hard to deal with predictions without... You can't forget what we already know about The Winds of Winter. Another, that's hard to do. So... Um, the question basically is, you're on show versus you're on book, and is there a chance for a Cersei-Euron alliance? Um, hmm, who wants to start? I've got, I've got a few thoughts on that, but let's see if someone else wants to start. Oh, oh, oh sure. Go ahead, David, go. I think that was Tony. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Tony. My yeah. bad. Go ahead. Yeah. I think it's good. I did a video on it a year ago saying that they were going to hook up and hang out. And I think that no doubt that this is definitely Cersei. She has no choice. Who else is it for her to hook up with? You see in the show right now, she has no one else there. There's no allies for her. I can't see them just allowing Danny just to come and roll right through her. Now in the books, we know it's going to be a little different because I don't think Danny will meet up with Cersei because that'll be Aegon there. He will kick Cersei out of King's Landing before uh, Danny gets there and then Danny will then run into to Aegon there. So since they give uh, Aegon's role so, so uh, to Cersei at this particular time, I think that she that that's what's going to happen. There's no other choice for her to have as an ally but Euron Greyjoy. And then when you hear uh, Tall 
long, terrible, pale white, just like the her neck is pale white in her vision when she gets choked out. I just all those things when I put it together, I have to think that that's Cersei. Right on. I certainly agree with the point that she doesn't really have other options, and Ironborn Euron's already kind of been spoiled for Danny by Theon and, and Yara getting there first, saying, no, don't team up with him. Do not team up with him. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that. I think that bridge is probably burned already, so Euron's going to have to do something else. But the second part of the question, like, whether D&D stay true to book Euron, well, that's no. really tough to say because we, it's really so. hard to even see what book Euron is at this point. He, we're just getting, we've just scratched the surface on book Euron, and he seems to be really major. It looks like he's going to have a huge role I think it's possible that Euron will have Dragonbinder next season, which is closer to Book Euron if he has magical artifacts, then it's closer. I think it's possible because it would just be a good source of conflict, but I don't know how... I, I hope it's possible. I, I agree with that, too, because Daenerys has, like we've, we've said a couple times, Daenerys looks like this unstoppable juggernaut right now. There's a few things that could slow her down. Tyrion having an issue with the Sand Snakes over Marcel's death is possibly a, a hiccup, but I don't th see that derailing her whole effort. Winter is obviously a big deal, but yeah, as far as Cersei and your, Cersei goes, as far as like enemies to fight in Westeros, Cersei doesn't seem all that strong, but if Euron has Dragonbinder, then that would be, that would be real. You know, that would be a serious conflict. I Anyone else have a take? I go back and forth just because I think like they haven't mentioned it at all. But on the other hand, they might not want to be like, hey, here's this thing that Euron's going to use next season like to you know, uh, take over Danny." And mm -hmm. it's hard for me to think right now what, like, what could really throw a wrench in her works. I mean, like, this is, like, like that really felt like Danny's victory you know, lap mm -hmm. or whatever. It, it felt like almost her story was kind of over and whatever happens next is like, that's great, but like, we know she's just going to get on the Iron Throne and kick Cersei's ass. Um, so I, I sort of think there has to be some kind of magical thing with the dragons because the dragons have always been her weak point, right? Like they're always her strength and her weakness. And like the, that wasn't even, I don't think played out as, as thoroughly in Marine as it could have been with everybody being like, ha, huh, there's these, their weapons in our, in our city, you know, like, that's <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I agree with you guys. I, I definitely hope that it's there. But I don't like Euron as a character, so I'm fine if they just do whatever they want. <laughs> See, I think it's possible. Like, I thought it was possible that Daenerys would set off the wildfire in King's Landing. It's been a long-standing theory. I still thought it was possible in the show, um, even that they would set it off a third time. But she has Tyrion, and we know Tyrion knows that there's wildfire caches hidden, so you think Tyrion should warn her, but otherwise I would think that that would be a pretty huge uh, issue that she's having. Like Chekhov's gun, the Chekhov's wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it'll happen in the show now, because Tyrion's with her. Yeah, I agree, and, and I don't know that they'll go to that wild, wildfire well again, so for such a meaningful, important point. Um, yeah, so it's really hard to say. I think the it's it's it's, it's unclear how much the showrunners know about book Euron because at the point they're at, you know, when they started writing the show, there wasn't very much on Euron at all. Oh, they got it. They have to have heard about the chapter now, though. Yeah. Even Euron Greyjoy. Yeah. yeah. Even uh, even Pilar Asbeck, the actual actor, read the new chapter. So hopefully <laughs> he's like knocking on their door. 
Asking. Hey guys, I, guys, I, it says here I've got a horn and some magic armor. Can we get this in my contract? <laughs> yeah. About, oh. Hey guys, hey guys, it says here I have a roll. <laughs> <laughs> so far, it wasn't much of one. Yeah. So I can see, like, from a show writer, a show watcher, like someone who only watches the show, they probably are like wondering, is this guy gonna matter at all? Is like, what's he gonna do? They probably don't have. They couldn't possibly have the inkling that we do about how important he seems to be, really be, and how ambitious he is. Just the scale of his ambition, and how grand and epic it is, is really, really something. If I could agree with you, Aziz, I think that Euron in the books is headed for like truly frightening status. He's going to be a big, big fucking deal, essentially. Yeah. And I don't. He's... The books could still do that, uh, and I like the idea that they'll pull out the Dragonbinder horn. I certainly hope they will. Um, but so far, yeah, it's not anything close to what book you're on is. The book and show both have a need for somebody to be at Danny's level, like a player at her level who is yeah. kind of above intrigue at this point because she's just so powerful. The size of her army, the fact that she has dragons, and she's been nominated as the savior of Relorism, uh, the, the pro you know, as the, the, the prophesied savior. So for someone to, for any sort of antagonist to her has to be like a seriously powerful in order to, to, to actually pose a real threat. So yeah, I gotta agree with that. That said, we do have the others in the White Walkers. Yeah. In both the show and the books, which are, you know. They're huge. certainly on her level, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> you know what's, I, what's interesting? I've just like, I've been watching some other HBO series, like I've been watching Veep, which is like a dumb comparison, but like Every every time something goes right for Selena Meyer, like something else goes wrong, or at least like or two things go wrong, or three things go wrong. <laughs> Danny doesn't work like that. Like they don't write Danny like that. She's not. She's very rarely battling a ton of problems. She's always kind of in like conqueror voice and like you know. So like her dragons will come and save her. And like I was really looking forward to her like having to scrap it out with you know at 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 Vaisdothrak and. They kind of just like reverted back to like power, Danny, and I feel bad being against that. But but I it isn't interesting, you know. Not to go on a total Danny tangent, but like it just struck me that they don't write her as somebody who is kind of following the rules of drama in terms of being challenged. Yeah, she does. Yeah. There's not a lot of tension or challenges. I totally agree with that. I think that she uh, in the TV show she's. Too dependent on the plot gifts, like, mm -hmm. like you say. Whenever something goes wrong, it's a dragon, or it's fireproof, or it's, you know, you know, it's, it's something. And these things other people don't have. So I get this sense that that it's a bit unfair on all the other characters, which are betrayed to suffer and to f feel these losses. I feel like Danny is, you know, treated with a special hand, which kind of makes me like the character less. Yeah, if you compare her to Jon Snow, who is sort of the parallel character to her in some ways, like being a main sort of uh, future king, future queen type character, Jon, you know, has suffered a lot this season. And I know, Tony, you were a big fan of Kit Harington's acting this season in particular and how he was really important. And whether or not you agree with that, you, it's hard to disagree with the fact that he suffered, had a lot of conflict this season and he had a lot of obstacles to overcome. Whereas for Danny, they're mostly, she didn't, the obstacles were there and she just, just out of my way. I defeat you. This is not really a problem after all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right, let's, let's move on. We've got another good question from the secret Darklin here. More Cersei, another good Cersei question here. A lot of upvotes on this one. 
What is Cersei's next move regarding Sansa? You really don't think she'll just let her be, right? Will she send Jaime to deal with Sansa in the North? Would that give Jaime the opportunity to finally break from her? What would happen if Bran met Jaime? I never thought about Bran meeting Jaime before. That is, oof, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I'm going to push you out a window. See how you like it. <laughs> I I don't know. Can Cer like see? I don't know that Cersei can can do anything about Sansa. She surely wants to, but it's the same with Dorne. Like Jamie told her, like yeah, we want to get revenge, but but right now we we can't. We got a, too many other problems. Uh, I don't know that she has the opportunity to go after Sansa. That might be a bigger problem for her right now. What, no, what? she she barely controls King's Landing at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think her her hands are tied right now, and um, she's not going to have. Uh, she's not going to have a chance to even think about Sansa. And also, I want to point out that I'm pretty sure we saw the break between Jamie and Cersei happen at the end of this season. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's a, quite a bit to be spun out of that, but I I think we've already got that established. I heard that cracking sound. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like ice cracking on a spring lake or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did not give her the look of approval there in the throne room. Like, oh, good, you're queen now. Oh, great, yes. Does this mean <laughs> I can be Lord Commander again? <laughs> he was more like, oh, shit, I've seen this before. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no. I saw that. He saw that big smoking crater. And he's like, what have you done? Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wait, where's Tommen? <laughs> it's just all these, all these we thoughts. We had rushing. a son somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but you said no one but us matters in this world, so you agreed to this. <laughs> okay. Any other, uh, any other responses to that? Well, question? is there is there a Brand Jamie meet like setting the Cersei aside? Is it is there another way Brand and Jamie could meet? Because obviously they have a lot of history, and we've been seeing that Bran has seen a lot about Jamie's decision to kill Ares in his visions. Oh, yeah. So that it, it is important for Bran to know that. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Bran seeing Jamie. I don't think they'll meet in real life, but if Bran could see Jamie through a weirwood. Well, so what would be the importance of Bran knowing the truth that Jamie did something noble? Like is that part of like Bran learning to forgive Jamie because Jamie has some role to play or What's That's a very interesting question. I, I've never thought about the fact that that made it into vision. You know, Ares yelling, burn them all. That's obviously relevant because of the wildfire foreshadowing. But, yeah, but why does he see Jamie be stabbing the Mad King? I, I, yeah, I tend to think that that's a, it's a meta-level look. The creators chose that for us. I tend to think that Bran was seeing a lot more than what we saw him see. Mm. But they chose to make it visible to us. But I don't think that's all that he saw. Okay. For instance. Agreed. Yeah, it was probably for our benefit more than for Bran's particular benefit. Although it would be nice to see him go like, you know, that's the guy that threw me out a window. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I would like to talk about that stuff to Mira or someone about what he saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, trying yeah, to think of, just trying to think of why it could be important for Bran to know what really happened there. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not sure. It's it's not, I can't think of anything. But hey, if you you all uh, listening slash watching out there have any ideas, feel free. Drop them in the comment box. We're more than willing to listen to other theories on this idea. It's kind of a new uh, new thought. So uh, sometimes these things we can't. You got to think about them for a while to come up with an answer. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next question. What do we have here? 
Oh, here we go. Let's see. Let's do that. So we have the answer on this earlier question here, Yoke Boy. My seven-year-old daughter heard Yoke Boy's name and is now set on us naming her unborn baby brother Yoke Boy. <laughs> I, think that, I think that sounds like a grand idea. I highly nice. recommend it. <laughs> if it was an unborn baby girl, would she be suggesting Yoke Girl? Yeah, no, clearly, clearly Lady Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Okay, so that, of course, that was not an actual question, so let's do an actual question. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever one of those one you want to pick there. That was good, yeah. Okay, from the same person who brought up uh, Yoke Boy, <laughs> Ashley Wagner. If you could have a pint and a chicken with any person in the book slash show, who would you choose? Or some egg on toast, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. for us vegetarians. <laughs> if we're talking chickens, it's to be a Sandor from the TV show. He loves his chickens. <laughs> That's right. He just makes sure he doesn't drink your pint, you know. So. How you eat your chicken? Yeah, you might eat your chicken and your, drink your pint. So. I you say would... let Sandor eat your chicken if he wants to. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't, you're not going to stop him. <laughs> The guy's unkillable. I mean, <laughs> I do think he has the best, uh, fi most finely honed sense of sarcasm in the show. He gives Tyrion a run for his money, so that's that's what I go for. I think I would, and that that brings me to my answer. I think I would say Tyrion. I think Tyrion would be wonderful. Not only is he funny and personable, but he knows a lot about history. And I would ask him a lot of history questions. I'd ask him about dragons. I'd ask him about Lomas Longstrider's book. I'd ask him about. Whatever. I just say, hey, name a book you've read and tell me cool things. Okay, so you pick Tyrion, so I'll pick Sam, and then we can just tell each other what they said. <laughs> good call, good call. We got the bases covered on the, the knowledge characters. Who else? Who else has got one? Um, I'm just going to go with who would be fun to have a pint with and say Bronn. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Yes. <laughs> He'd be fun to sing along with, too. Like exactly. Karaoke, karaoke with Ron. Like get him to sing. Yeah, and... nice Tyrell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got two more people who haven't answered yet. Yeah. Paul and Tony, whoever has theirs first. What's uh, up, Tony and McCall? What do you guys got? <laughs> maybe Marjorie, just Ooh. because she's, she, she's fun. She's like has a sense of humor, I think. She, she you know... He's not probably going to kill me, at least not right there. You just know. warn her about the green trial? <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, just seriously, no, like, get out of there. Stay out of churches. <laughs> Tony, what do you got? Uh, I had to, most likely I'm, I would have to rock with Shay, because I know if I rock with her, I, I can have it anywhere. I'm like, and uh, after drinking. After drinking with her, I'm sure, you know, it would be a good time. So I'm rocking with that chick right there. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Yes. You can, you can have that me. chicken any way you like. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Oh, I see. It's a chicken joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I like this top question here from Guillaume Mesca. Yeah, that one. In Marine, the show did not give us an identity for the Harpy. Botching the plot quite a lot. Who do you think the Harpy will be in the books? I go for the Green Grace, but I might be wrong. Well, first of all, I do kind of agree that it, it was a bit botched in a sense that it was kind of left hanging. And a couple of things. I, I liked Marine overall uh, this last season. 
Uh, but there were some plot holes in it and some issues. It was certainly far from perfect, and this definitely is part of that. I, it was it was never really established or left hanging, or it was left hanging in a, in a way. Uh, I'm not sure that there is a single harpy in the books. It certainly seems that way the way they talk about it, but I'm not convinced that it works that way. That they're just a, that they have a leader because their normal government system doesn't work that way. The Marinese have the system of I guess you call it a plutocracy. They're ruled by the rich, and there isn't one guy ruling them. And they they you know they they've had kings before, but that's an ancient thing. So you know I'm not sure that they even have one. So that's that's my take. I don't know that they're that that's even um, how it works. Either way. I think that it will be a lot different in the books, and I think that we will get a resolution one way or the other. I'll go with the green grace. I think, isn't a harpy a female? Is it, could that be a clue? Yeah, yeah. Har harpies are female, yeah. I certainly get the, when Danny uh, treats with the green grace, I certainly get a kind of creepy feeling from, from her. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was the green grace. It does kind of make sense that she would plotting in that way as well. So... Which would explain the plot hole, because there's no green grace in the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought Actually, maybe for a while they were going to make that one woman that Varys bribed and had her sent away. I thought maybe they were going to be, that was going to be who it was, but clearly not. <laughs> Nicole, but, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, just that really any of the like book candidates for, for Harpy could probably explain the plot hole, just because most of them aren't there. Like, I heard a cool one that it's been so long since I read Dan's. I don't remember their names, but like one of the guys who's like pretending to like who like is on Danny's side, the shape Pate, I think I've heard yeah. that like a yeah. cool theory that he is. Th this is the type of thing where I'm just like, you know what? I'll let the smart people figure out who the green race is, and then I'll pick that theory and go with it. Uh, I mean, who the who the harpy is. Um, but uh, but I, I I like the idea of the green grace just as like a you know a, a female power figure opposing Danny. Um, but, you know, surprises could work, too. <laughs> well, here's where um, I think... Well, actually, I'm sorry. If, if anyone else has any takes on this? I never really thought about it too much because I just figured some... You know, it's the inevitable, like, guerrilla uprising in an occupied country. So, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's if it wasn't the Green Grace, it will be somebody else. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but it's just the inevitable... Thing that happens when you occupy somebody else's place, you know. Yeah, they 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 don't they're not happy with it. No. <laughs> okay, so here's um this is not necessarily a question, more of a, an observation from our friend and watcher Grant Dickerson. Cersei once said that in the show that she would quote jump from the highest tower if her children were taken from her. So that was a sneaky little bit of irony there. Uh, under did did Tom and O'Hara? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, poor dog. <laughs> okay, so here's a question from Lord Mark Joseph, Lord Mark of House Joseph. What role does Edmure have to play? In books, we might be seeing his escape in the prologue, which may imply he has things to do still. And if he does, you know, Arya's right there. She just pulled off this impressive pie-making thing, so if she can pull that off, she could probably get Edmure out of prison. Who's, he's probably just a pop skip and a jump away from where he where she was standing in her final scene there. So what do you guys think? Is, is Edmure going to have a role to play, or is he just kind of a going well, to be so a guy? In the books, we know that... Ed, well, I guess we don't know, but it seems likely that uh, 
Ed Muir is going to get sprung. And of course, Radio Westeros has that kick-ass episode on the brand uh, Brotherhood Without Banners. Talks all about that. So it seems like if the if show Arya sprung uh, sprung him loose, then it would be kind of parallel. Why? Why? I think the purpose would probably just to be because he's the Lord of Riverrun. He's just the figurehead. I don't know that he has to have any particular purpose, although he could. Hmm. Right on. Anyone else have a take on that? I think he's done in the show, unfortunately. I think that the way that they portrayed him was kind of like... It was disappointing to me in that they, they don't, like... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously he's still important in the books because we don't know the gender of his child, you know? So that's, like, a question that is still, uh, like, at large and significant as far as how important Edmure actually is. Um, but, yeah, I kind of thought it was like, oh, that little coward, like, going up to River Run and, like, capitulating and blah, 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 and, like, why would we want to see him again? Whereas I'm just like, I feel so bad for you, Edmure Tully. Like, <laughs> I'm on your side. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, as much as I think he has a role to play still in the books, at least in the short term, in wins, early wins, but um, I, I think Tobias Menzies is rather busy. I don't think... Yeah. They're mm. going to get him back at least long term in the show next mm. year. The old oh. meta reasons always very strong. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that I think his acting in the tent with Jamie was sensational. It's yeah. too bad they had him go into the castle and just fucking act like a dick and be like, you're uh, you know, say, I'm not going to explain it, just surrender. Like, that was lame. But his that was so frustrating. Great. Like, yeah. why Like why not just have, like, even if you were going to have the Blackfish die, which I still think is BS personally, but even <laughs> if you were going to do that, at least have him be like, I can't accept this. Like, have Edmure explain to him what's going on, and the Blackfish be like, I can't, I'm sorry, you know, it's just every, literally everyone's dead, and I can't deal with it, and I just got to go out fighting. You know, which would still have been stupid, but at least, like, you have more of an equitable, like, esteem of both the Blackfish and Edmure. As it is, Edmure just, like, gives up all the rights to the fucking phrase, and, and, then, and then the Blackfish dies for literally no reason. So Yeah, I, I there was, should have been a speech. I agree completely. It's like he walked in, the first thing he said was, surrender, lay down your arms. Like, no speech, no nothing, no, like... Here's that why we're we going to no do choice. this in the long yeah. run, because blah, da, da, and, you know. Like, FYI, leave, FYI, yeah. I'm literally saving all of your lives. Like, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something. But he just acted like a hard ass. It was really, yeah, it was bad. This is a good time to bring up something a friend of mine discussed with me, and it's, it's actually uh, a, a friend of Sean, our show-only reviewer as well, and he, he has this line, he has this thing where he, so many pro TV shows slash movies could fix so many of their problems with just one line of dialogue. Just just don't treat us like idiots. Just give us one line of dialogue to explain it, just so you show that you're making the attempt to explain it. And then we don't go, wait, why did that happen? Oh, well, I came back here because blah, blah, blah. You know, just one line of dialogue. That's all it takes just to explain it. And, you know, that so many, <laughs> I have to agree, there's a lot of places... Even in this season, which was great, I mean, I, I, my, it might be my favorite season of the six. There's a lot of times where they're like, just one more line of dialogue would have really been better right there. And, uh, yeah, and that that's, is what it is. That's right on the nose there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that Morgan Freeman meme, he's right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to the next question. What do we have here? She has been busy... Looking at all the questions, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of um, 
a lot of work goes on here with these sorting through these questions. Mm -hmm. Now, here's where I have to make my uh, every time we do question and answer sessions, I have to apologize that we can't possibly get to all the questions. You guys have asked us a lot of great questions. We could if you kept if you stopped apologizing. Ah, got <laughs> me. All right, well, so I'll cut that apology short and move on. Uh, <laughs> Tough but fair. <laughs> okay, what do we have here? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, from Wilkins seventy five. If you could see some of the other book mythical creatures, ice dragon, ice spider, unicorn, and other animals in the show, what animals would you like to see? So, of course, this, the visual spectacle is a big deal here. Like, what would you like to see? I got to say, I almost, I think I'll pick ice spider over ice dragon because that is just, I've never seen any. Yes, ice like spider. Anyway, yeah. any show, movie, that's just totally new for me. So Listen, listen to me, all right? Let me just sketch this out for you. You're a night's watchman. You're on top of the wall. The wind is blowing. It's cold and dark, okay? You look and you see the others at the edge of the forest, and you see them coming towards the wall, and you're like, okay, I'm 700 feet up in the air. And then the spiders start walking up the wall. Like, <laughs> what do you do at that point? It's like a scramble for the elevator. <laughs> yeah, you use that side they have, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's why they have it. <laughs> the spider scythe. The spider scythe. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Uh, yeah, and I wonder, can anyone ride the ice spiders? Have, like the others, yes. Like, riding yes. them? Like they got saddles? Like they have their own version of Tyrion designing special saddles? They'll, they'll film it just like the old Batman where they're going up the wall. <laughs> and they got the string holding the cape out horizontally. <laughs> That's It'll be just like that. Good old Adam Adam West and Burt Ward will be brought in. To you make play. a really good case. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I put thought into this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who else? Who else got an animal they want to see? Whether one of the ones suggested or something else entirely. I wouldn't I... mind seeing a They sound pretty cool. A what? Like uh, it reminds me of tremors, but they they can kind of spew out fire. Wait, what yeah. was it you said? They they could they remind me of tremors. No, which animal? I, I fireworms. Oh, oh fireworms. fireworms! Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, how to make hard home even scarier, right? <laughs> the, the screaming caves and the fireworms in there. Being attacked by fire and ice on both sides. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go with mine. Um, it's not unicorn because those are goats. But. Uh, <laughs> I one that's not on this list that it's been on my mind recently are the oh, sphinxes. Nice, nice. Just because we've been studying that Forsaken chapter, and I've really just been trying to wrap my mind around what I think they symbolize and were in, in, in reality, because we have so many different descriptions of what they entailed, and mm. I don't think we would ever see them in the show, though. I expected just then, I thought you were about to say Kraken. Oh. Which would also be yeah. awesome to see on TV. Oh, man. And we, there's that's a chance. More we get that maybe maybe Euron doesn't have a dragon horn, but maybe he does have a kraken horn, mm. and that's you know Daddy's armada gets <laughs> I don't know something like that. I, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> Give me some hot kraken on ship action. That's something I ship. Kraken. <laughs> ship. Yeah. <laughs> we have any other animals or boats? Who else is a mythical creature they want to see on screen? <laughs> well, I'll just add on to what you were saying. Uh, I do wonder what that dead things in the water is going to be about. Like is, you know, I mean, it's one of those most curious things that I am uh, waiting to see the next book. 
Well, hell, why not? An, if, if we can have a real Kraken, why not an undead Kraken? Oh, oh man. It's going to be horrible, whatever it is. Blue eyes. Like. Yeah, I was going to say the dead things in the water, so I guess I'll just say I really want to know what a snark looks like. Oh. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you can say when you can go with Grumpkins. Yeah, I would... Uh... Like Here's my snark Grumpkin. right here. I'm oh. a snark. <laughs> Actually, that's just that's just Drogon, but <laughs> that's the name of a baby dragon. Baby dragon's nickname is Snark. <laughs> that would work. <laughs> okay, what's the next question? I like, I like this one here. This one? Okay. Yeah, Mace for Maester David. Very good question, especially considering the group we have here today. What subjects, if any, has season six inspired you to cover on future episodes? of History of Westeros and Radio Westeros, it says in the question, but really this applies to all of us, on Tef Teflon TV, on Vassals of Kingsgrave, on Mythical Astronomy. So, what are the answers? Do you guys have anything that you were inspired from Season 6 to, to talk more about? Well, I think that we kind of try to veer away from the TV show. We're trying to separate. So, I don't know if you agree, Lady Gwyn, but we're kind of like looking away from the TV show, thinking, what did the TV not cover? You know, well, and uh, yeah, that is what I was going to say. We, we probably try to fill in some of the gaps of things like that. The negative left space. Out. Yeah, that's a different form of inspiration. So it's inspired you to to cover the things that they didn't cover. Well, for instance, yeah, the, what yeah. we have coming up uh, fairly immediately is uh, something that is absolutely not in the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, who else? Who else has got something they've been inspired to talk more about? I'd say if we hadn't already done a summer hall episode we would be thinking about doing one because of the, the wildfire stuff. <laughs> That's really cool. That was just a great scene, great moment. So, Well, yeah. so, Aziz, I got a couple things for you. So um, I actually, my fifth podcast was called Tyrion Targaryen. Oh, and yeah. I, I kind of decided to do that because of the second, I think it was episode two, where Tyrion, you know, he unlocked the dragons and, you know, mm -hmm. it was, he told the whole story about when he was a kid. He dreamed of dragons, and they lifted that from Game of Thrones, which I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I had been sort of plotting a Tyrion episode, and it's not really all about him being a Targaryen. It's really like Tyrion's mythical symbolism. But a lot of it I wrapped into the whole uh, the idea that he's got dragon blood. So I kind of already did that. One, I, I'd sort of responded to the show. And then also... Uh, the, all that we'll talk about the Blackstone and the obelisks in in that scene where they created the others and all that. But you yeah. know, I've got all ideas about Blackstone. Yeah, of course so, you uh, do. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw those obelisks at that ceremony, like, you know, I got pretty excited about that. So I'll have something to say about that. Tony, how about you? You've you're uh you're you're big on making theories in general. So I thought maybe there were some theories you got from the show that that made you you think maybe apply to the books as well. I think that uh, a lot of it uh, it confirmed a lot of theories for that that oh, happened okay. and deaded a lot of theories but what inspired from the the show itself I may uh, have a series called recasting Game of Thrones where I mm -hmm. changed the actors and put actors I think that should have been casted in the place of them mm -hmm. so that was inspired oh that's from Game cool that's fun so right on. I've been okay. doing that recently fun, Tony fun. Tony tell us like uh, tell us one idea that you think was confirmed by the show I'm curious yeah good idea John Snow's parentage. <laughs> okay. All right. Come on. Give us one more. Meeting a Hodor. 
John Snow comes back to life. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got we're some pretty low hanging fruit here. What else you got? Come on. <laughs> One more maybe. <laughs> okay, what do we let's let's we're gonna go down there. Down here. Yeah. Okay, here's a good one. Um, I asked this question to, we posed this question in our show only wrap up, so I won't re-answer it, but I thought it was a pretty clever question, especially because people may, this is from Dan of the Rand Mountains, aka Dornish Dan. He, we, a lot of people talked about how Battle of the Bastards reminded them of Braveheart in a lot of ways, and how the last episode, Winds of Winter, reminded people of Godfather. And those are great movies to emulate, of course. What movies would you like to see season seven and season eight perhaps emulate a bit using their style or maybe some things that kind of converge with what's happening in Game of Thrones along some of your favorite movies? Of course, I'm wearing a Star Wars Game of Thrones uh, mashup shirt here. I don't want Game of Thrones to be more like Star Wars, so I'll say that right here, even though I'm uh, this, the, the, the ground we're treading on. <laughs> Not because I don't like Star Wars. I actually love Star Wars, but... We don't. I don't want some like hidden twin out there. You know, I don't want, I, we don't need any of that. So, what do you guys think? It's kind of a tough question. Yeah, <laughs> so many movies. <laughs> I, I really like the style in the episode ten where they had this, you know, score come in, and instead of dialogue, they were just showing. You know, the the story was telling itself. They almost didn't need dialogue. You know. And it kind of reminded me of some of the Stanley Kubrick films. And I, I would just like to see that kind of style again at some point, maybe done slightly differently. But I think they're on to a winner. I think a lot of people were really impressed by how cinematic and movie-like it felt. Yeah, every season, like every season Game of Thrones gets more and more cl closer to being movies and less like TV. You know, they've always kind of been in between, but it's just getting closer to movie than it ever has been. Anyone else? I'll tell you, I don't want it to be like Back to the Future. <laughs> Not because I love Back to the Future, but because I, I just don't stick. I don't want time travel. I, I don't like the time travel in my Game of Thrones. So. Uh, so. I would cool. not. I would like to not see never-ending story again. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, let's move on. Let's see. From Frank McCormick, I like this question. What, if any, show versions of characters you actually prefer to the book versions? I find show Cersei a much more interesting and compelling character than the rather pathetic, to my mind, book Cersei, for instance. That's uh, from Frank McCormick. I agree. Actually, Cersei is my number one pick there. I think that I prefer book show Cersei. She's more nuanced, and she, even though we get to see it, we get to see inside book Cersei's head, and it's a horrible place. <laughs> book Cersei's head <laughs> is just a mismatch of paranoia and 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 privilege and just quite a few just moments of stupidity too. She's not stupid. Cersei book Cersei is not stupid, but she is. She does stupid things sometimes. Wrong uh, thinking. So. <laughs> She's hey, like did, did you just say a mishmash of paranoia and privilege? Yeah. That's like the title of her autobiography. <laughs> That's <laughs> the Cersei awesome. story. <laughs> I, know, so, I know poetry when I hear it. <laughs> so who else? Uh, what, do, what do you guys think? Show versions of characters that you like more. I'll throw out a couple that, like, I mentioned this, I think, um, I don't remember when I mentioned this, but even George, George has said a few that he thinks the show has done perhaps better uh, he mostly credits the actors, not the, sh the writing for this. 
but he likes Braun a lot, he likes Osha a lot, and he mm -hmm. likes Shay a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. So those are some those are some examples. But what about the rest of you guys? Yeah, I agree with those. Um, uh, Ramsey and uh, Joffrey. I, I think even Tywin. I think maybe they just did the they do the villains, and and it might be the visual, you know, the acting and stuff. But hmm. the villains are much more interesting. interesting. Yeah. Okay, who else? Uh, like. My big one, uh, Marjorie Tyrell. Oh, okay. She is more interesting in I, the show. I re she's way more interesting. She's Marjorie more in the books is in the mix. Insignificant, small character, really. But yeah, she's she's a she's more of a level three character in the books, where she's a level two character in the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tier it, two versus tier three. <laughs> I just want to second that call. It's a great call, Marjorie. <laughs> cool. Who else? Uh, Liana Mormont. Ooh, <laughs> good one, very good one. I mean, she's pretty cool in the books. Is she in the books? I we don't haven't even remember. Seen her. We just we haven't seen her. her. We get the letter. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was nice, but uh, yeah, they they did a great job portraying her. It's yeah, sort of like I guess she's sort of like Willa Willa Manderly. Yeah, sort of, uh, she's yeah, sort of yeah. She just didn't have the green hair. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, what about you? Theon, I hate. Theon in the books. Uh, I have no remorse for Theon in the books. I think he deserves everything he gets in the books, but Alfie <laughs> Allen makes me feel bad for him. So oh, <laughs> he is. He, he, this might have been his strongest season, and, and then none. And they've all been strong, you know. Um, and he, it's hard to do when he has had less screen time in some previous seasons. So <laughs> I like that pick a lot. I actually have one more pick. Okay. Daria. Uh, Daria is one of my least all-time least favorite characters in the books. I hate his guts, <laughs> but. Maybe it's just that he doesn't have gold teeth and, and a weird beard, or, or I don't know, but I like Mitchell Wiesman a whole lot. Um, yeah. yeah. He's good. He's, he's, I kind of agree with that, yeah. I think his personality is better in general. I don't think it's just his looks that's getting me, but I think it is a lot of his looks. <laughs> So I don't I don't think that uh, show Varys is better than book Varys, but I think that it's uh, he his acting goes so far in actually making him come to life that mm -hmm. I really really appreciate it. I feel like it's a a case where the acting has realized the character in a way that reading it just cannot. Mm. That makes sense. Well said. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Also, maybe Grey Worm. Oh, like, there's okay. Nothing wrong with him in the books, just like. He, he really, I think Missandei has lost quite a bit because she doesn't have anything to do. Um, <laughs> Grey Worm has a lot more to do, and, and that little romance that they have works really well for him. So I, yeah. I enjoy watching him very much on the show. It's, a good, it's kind of a microcosm of the Marjorie situation. Like Mar yeah. Grey Worm in the books is, is just not nearly as important. He is kind of like the, the version of what Tyrion was asking him about before he... You know, he's like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I talk about reports, talk about troop reports, talk about that's that's book Grey Worm. <laughs> <laughs> Show Grey Worm definitely has a little more going on. Makes jokes. Makes jokes. Yeah, I make jokes. <laughs> or no, he makes joke. Yeah, just make just the one. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bit of a placeholder in the books, and in the show, he's a he's a real character, and the actor is good. So I, that's a good call. I also think that um, uh, Lady Olena is in the same category as Varys, mm -hmm. where it just seeing the acting it endears you to the character more and you really like fully realizes like, oh, this is one of those grandmas that you don't F with, you know, like. <laughs> you know, Especially when she shuts down the sand snakes. That was classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's nice to see that. Like, right, she can make a scene with the sand snakes tolerable. I mean. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's special right there. That's, that's a true miracle, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another great question. Did we get to everyone? 
I think we did. We did? did we? Okay. Did we not? I think we did. Okay. Uh, okay, so from Anthony Gonzalez, longtime listener and patron supporter, who do you suppose put it into the heads of Robert and Brandon, etc., that Liana was kidnapped and raped? It's a very good question. Somehow Robert got the idea that that this was a abduction and raping. Um, some people think Littlefinger had something to do with that, but I'm not sure if he was close enough at the time. Mm -hmm. He was he was laid up healing. Um, I think that's when the timeline matches up. What do you guys yeah. think? Um, yeah, George has more or less ruled out Littlefinger being mm -hmm. part of it. Um, but um, I think it's I personally think on. It's an assumption on Robert's part. I think yeah. Brandon, you know, had his own thing. He was hot-headed and he got wrong information and thought that it was a kidnapping and that's why he did what he did. But I think Robert just assumed that mm. this is what would have happened. He filled in the, the blanks that nobody was supplying him with and um, went on believing that. And Ned let him believe that because it protected John. Yeah, and and Brandon, it's a good point about Brandon, because Brandon also was almost went after Rhaegar at the tournament when she, Lyanna was given the Queen of uh, the Laurel of Queen and ah, Queen of Love and Beauty Laurel thing. So he was already ticked off at Rhaegar, so he was maybe perhaps already willing to believe the worst. Yeah. Anyone else have another take? To build on what Lady Yoke, uh, Lady Gwen, yeah, Lady <laughs> <laughs> this whole baby thing has got me all confused. Uh, but no, what Lady Gwen was just saying, uh, yeah, no, to uh, now I lost my train of thought. Go ahead, go to somebody else. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think it's just interesting that uh, this is the. I agree with with uh, Lady Gwen that it's an assumption, and I also think it's telling that that's where their thoughts go, you know, because the only. Um, Evidence. I, I don't. I actually don't know if people would have any idea that there was any evidence at all that that Liana that sex was involved with Liana's kidnapping, um, other than just. I mean, the fact that she died. Can they? Can they? Do they think that she had a miscarriage? Like, is that like a or a or a labor that didn't okay. result in a child? Like, yeah. So I so yeah this is this, what I was going to say was that this is part of Robert's character is that he's in denial about this and I think the fact that he's made this assumption like Lady Gwynne was saying it's sort of a defining thing about him he just can't believe that Leanna doesn't love him and and she was Leanna had her eyes open from the beginning as we know from her conversation with Ned so I just I just think that's the main important thing about what's going on is that Robert just basically assumed and Brandon's just a hothead. You know, it's because he because it's it's an honor thing. If Leanna ran away, it's a little bit dishonorable, and so I think Brandon wouldn't want to believe that. He he already has an animosity towards Rhaegar, and so he just made the assumption that it must have been an abduction. <laughs> Speaking of one line of dialogue, Leanna, leave a note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just one sentence. I ran off with with Rhaegar. Well, there probably will be some reason, right? That we'll find out. Yeah, it could have, there could have been a note, and it didn't didn't circulate in the way it was intended. We don't know. I wouldn't want to kind of make assumption. I'm sure there's a few twists in this RLJ thing. A good yeah. point. Yeah, I actually suspect that Rhaegar let um, uh, Rickard know what was happening, which is why he was very curiously not all that concerned about Lyanna when he went to King's Landing. From what we know, you know, he he wasn't demanding his daughter back. Um, you know, he kind of went there to collect his 
you know, impetuous son. son. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we never dumbass. hear that. The he word was... you're looking for is dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll come take the kid. I'll come take the kid. I know, I know. Wait, um, am I going to have to fight fire if I go there? Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I agree, and I also think it's... Um, I totally just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> it like flew out of my head. I was like about to say it, and I don't know. Why isn't that going on? Story you were saying before, Michal, about um, why they jumped to their being them having oh, sex, yeah. whether it was known if she was pregnant. Well, I think one reason they would jump to that is that there was groundwork laid for there being a romance in the Queen of Love and Beauty thing, and so they would yeah. see that there was some some attraction or so, some sort there, and they would jump to that. Rhaegar was swiping, which way is it, to positive? <laughs> yes, I was swi he swiping left. Right. <laughs> right, he was swiping right, like, repeatedly on Liana, like... Uh, Super light game. And everyone saw oh. it. <laughs> yeah, I also I also just think it's really, I remembered, um, it's, it's super interesting to me to see the arc of how R plus L equals J is perceived in the fandom even because like I know just from myself like it starts off and it's like oh no evil Rhaegar and then it goes to like oh this epic beautiful love story and then it goes to like maybe they were just idiots like maybe they were literally <laughs> I, it sounds funny but I mean it seriously like they were selfish idiots who ran off and like didn't realize that they were about to plunge a kingdom into a war you know and seven and, stages of RLJ Exactly. Yeah. So I think, and I think honestly, like both of the not not the evil Rhaegar probably, but like those are viable options. You know that they were stupid kids, or that they were deeply invested in fulfilling this prophecy, or that they were just like, oh my god, I actually just found my soulmate. Bye. You know, like <laughs> it, it it could be a lot of different things, and I like really can't wait until we find out exactly what it is. Yeah, this is all fodder for the Robert, the Robert's Rebellion TV show that we're talking about. See, this is all these great topics, these great pieces of conflict. That, that could right, because the, the tournament is like a year before the fight, right? So they got that whole, they can have a year of building up to the tournament and the year in between and the battle, yeah. the war lasts a year. Yeah. yeah. I think we actually don't know because I've tried to argue, this, this came up when I was trying to argue um, the Brandon Ashara theory and like mm. her pregnancy and we don't George is really frustratingly vague on the timeline at the beginning of the war and how long Harrenhal was before and like at what point Liana got kidnapped. I don't know a lot of timeline things, but I know that he does isn't very specific on that specific. This one I've actually I've actually put a lot of work into figuring that one out. We had to do some work on it for Summerhall to figure out the timing of a few things and it does seem the the one the best clues for some of the timings are Elia's pregnancies. That's one of the things that really helps narrow it down because she's at the tournament of Harrenhal, and we know she spent time recovering from her pregnancy. So this means she's past that point of recovering, and we know she's already pregnant with Aegon at this point because of when he's born. So she has to be in the early stages of her pregnancy, or else she wouldn't be traveling. So it's pretty much it's 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 towards the latter half of the year, but not the end of the year. More like if it was, it would it would be like August or September. Is is the, I worked with our our good friend Rainey's the timeline expert, uh, oh, who's yeah. really tight on these sort of things, and we talked about this one a lot. And uh, this is this is what she agrees with as well. So I feel pretty confident on that one. There, like you say, McCall, there's still a lot of haze around it, but. I feel like that's that much. I think is at least fairly solid. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised that you guys figured out something. That I <laughs> it's really. It's actually really interesting. Rhaegar falls in love with Lyanna, then goes back 
with an egg on is born and tells Elia that his is the, he is the prince that was promised or his is you know his he's the prince that was promised and then goes back to Liana and runs off with her so it's all very peculiar um, mm -hmm. which is why yeah. the TV show on this would be really really interesting yet another That's why you you got to read the entire prophecy before you start making decisions you can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Rhaegar should have read page two. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, there's a there's a there's a backside. Oh shoot, I only read the front. <laughs> okay, let's move on to another question. Let's there's a couple other good ones on here that I want to make sure we get to. Or back up, back up. Mm. Yeah, okay. Some from Grimm of House Soundview. Could Sansa have suggested to Lyanna Mormont the idea of naming John the King? Lyanna gives a nod at the end of her speech. And it seems like it could be directed at Sansa. I'm gonna say no, but I can't say it with a lot of confidence. Do you guys have a take on that? Do you think that's possible, or is that just... Uh... I'm going to say no, just because I don't see the show doing that. Mm. Yeah. I was about to say, that sounds like a classic case of giving the show too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> too little for yeah. TV. Uh, so I think the nod was directed at John, and also based on Sophie Turner and Aidan Gillen's comments afterwards, um, I think it's pretty clear what was going on with Sansa, so I don't think she was setting John up. So. Sansa was, was kind of surprised by that, too, huh? the whole yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, also from our Lord Commander George the Golden, he says it probably won't be addressed in the, sh in the show, but Littlefinger and the Veilmen have now seen a giant. Thus, it won't be as hard to convince them that of these other stories about creatures from beyond the wall, such as the White Walkers, are true. That's I, I kind of agree with him. That probably won't be addressed in the show. They'll probably just be like, "Yep, we're here. We're we're fighting. You know, for the." For our new king or whatever. I just whatever. want to know if everyone thinks John is undead or not, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, right? Just one line of dialogue. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, is he a deserter or a zombie? Like, what do they think? <laughs> Nobody knows. Sorry. He's, a, he's both. He's a zombie. Mm -hmm. Zomberder? Hmm. Well, no, it's the whole thing like he's not a deserter if the being resurrected gets you out of the oath or whatever, but everyone has to then know and understand that he's resurrected. Otherwise, they should look at him as a deserter. So <laughs> yeah. maybe they'll deal with that. Or the other. I, don't know. <laughs> I think that, that really surprised me because I, I was always in the camp that like John was not going to take that out, like not going to basically use the loophole. You know, in in the thing like, oh, well, it happens to be I just died. You know, like I didn't, I did not see that coming, and I was quite surprised. I'm interested to see if that, if it goes exactly that way in the book, because everything's kind of reversed. Um, but uh, or if it, or if it, if I mean, because in my head, John just goes right back to that weird and swears an oath again. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's going to be freed. He's got to go do other stuff. Yeah, hmm. probably. Uh, it makes me think about what if, like, a worshiper of the drowned god, you know, they oh. they get their bapti their, their uh, baptism, <laughs> and they die, and are brought back, <laughs> and you know, uh, don't yeah. have to take the Night's Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, Suddenly, we're... all of the Night's Watchmen are very devout followers of the drowned god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, oh, yeah, you'd have to do it after you were a Night's Watchman, so Aaron, Aaron could get some good mileage if he went up to the wall, maybe. Virtual <laughs> conversions. No, that's that's pretty subtle. That's pretty great. I mean, that's subtle. He's like, hey, technically, I've spoken to the lawyers, and... <laughs> spoken to the lawyers. <laughs> right on. Okay, let's take another question here. 
I think I totally derailed that one. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, let's go back to the top here. All right. Um, Some categories. Uh, yeah, let's do a, let's do a, a, an easy like best of type question here. What was your most your pick for the most satisfying death of the season? I'll I'll not make some nominations here. Five nominations: Ramsey, the Slavers, the, the Grey Worm double, you know, double killed there. Ollie, the High Sparrow, and Lord Walder. We'll start with Yoke Boy. Yeah, I need High Sparrow because I couldn't take another one of his monologues. So. <laughs> Uh, no, it was very satisfying because the build-up was just so good. You, I don't know what you guys felt, but I really wanted the explosion to go off. I was there thinking, like, don't blow those candles out. I really <laughs> want to see this. <laughs> and then you know, the first person Fire! See, Fire! <laughs> the first person we see going in the middle of the set is the High Sparrow. And, um, you know, I found it satisfying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks were great on that. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, Lady Gwen, we're on your. We're focused on you now. The camera's on you, so we'll go. Okay. Through. Um. I guess. I guess Ramsey, and just because the, he kind of ruined. I mean, it, it, the first half of this. Yeah. Second half of the show. Maybe he was the most relieving death. It's like, ah, finally. We yeah. got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> in in the best way, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Tony, what about you? Ali, I hate Ali. I can't stand Ali. Always hated Ali, and then the smuggler he gave before he got hung, he deserved to go. And people <laughs> kept saying that, oh, maybe John will spare him. I was so happy that he didn't. Happy that Ali died. <laughs> <laughs> right on. No hedging your bets there. Okay, right on. Nicole, let us your pick. Um, okay, Tony, I hate you. Um, <laughs> Zombies. I'm like Team Ollie all the way, um, but I'm actually going to go totally off book and break the rules and say that uh, Tommen was my most satisfying death. Not, not because not because I was happy about it or because it was like a yes. You know, I, I don't usually feel that way about character deaths in general. Um, I just felt that it provided basically the perfect bow on his arc, on Marjorie's arc, on Cersei's um, kind of explosion, literally, of madness uh, in, in the season. And it was, it was brilliant to see Cersei's, Cersei's kind of, literally her conflagration swallow the person mm -hmm. she most wanted to protect. You know, and, mm -hmm. and in such a quiet way, in such a subtle way, it made sense on a character level for me. It was a beautiful scene. It was like so. So to me, I like I was sh and I was genuinely shocked by it. So to me, like looking back, as far as like I'm not. First of all, I'm not devastated because it's Tommen. Um, but second of all, I really like I just thought it was beautifully orchestrated and felt very was one of the most fitting I think deaths for mm. for me. Right on. That's a good point. Uh, David. Yeah. So I'll I'll agree with uh, McCall 100%. Very well said too, McCall. I, I mean, that's everything you said and more. That that 20 minutes with the set burning was, to me, like one of the best bits of cinema that they've ever done all the way around. And Tommen's death, like how you guys pointed out, no music. He sort of sets the crown down and just walks off. Like, it really was, it was satisfying in the sense that it was good storytelling and it was mm -hmm. good cinema and it was appropriate for all the reasons that McCall just said. And, yeah, it, uh, it was also, it was also really um, kind of, 
feminine in a way. Like, do you, you know what I mean? Like the the like in even in the books we've hear we've heard of like people throwing themselves from the red keep or whatever, but they're all princesses or queens. Oh you know? yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and I thought it was just a really beautifully romantic way for Tommen to take his own life. You know, like very kind of subtle, very dramatic, but but in that kind of in in the spirit of that romantic idea. Um, and I really liked. I think I I think it was your podcast that you you mentioned that um like the story will be that Tommen threw himself off the off the red keep and you know and out of grief for Marjorie and I like I'm almost happy about that because it's like at yeah. least at least like somebody gets like a, a legacy among the people that isn't yeah. horrible or forgotten you know yeah I think it'll be it could become like a, a long term long standing legend of the king that leapt <laughs> or something yeah from a broken heart it'll be yeah it could be a really long a story that really just per stays part of the Westerosi like collective mind for a long time. So what's yeah. yours, Aziz? Mine would be... Don't say Ollie. No, it's not Ollie. <laughs> I think, I think uh, I'll go with Lord Walder. I think that he's just such a scummy guy. And I was kind of expecting him to go because of spoilers on knowing that Arya had a Riverland scene at the end of the season. We knew that was coming, and that was a pretty safe assumption as to why she would be in the Riverlands. You know, he was on her list, and the other two people on her list were... Gregor and Cersei, and I don't see her being able to deal with them so soon. So, yeah, so it kind of saw it coming, but it was still very satisfying because that he's just so gross and, and creepy, and, you know, he's slapping little girls in the butt. It's just, yeah, this, mm -hmm. he needed to go. <laughs> uh, I guess my answer will be, uh, depends on what you mean by satisfying. I agree with McCall and David's interpretation of satisfying in that sense, that it was fitting and satisfying in a non-taking joy in their pain sort of way, in a taking joy from their pain sort of way, in a high sparrow like Yoke Boy. <laughs> I was very sick of the high sparrow's smug face and his monologue. <laughs> so he needed to go. Him. <laughs> I remember they were talking about the filming of that scene, and at first they were just going to show it from the outside and having it just all explode, but then they decided, oh. no, they really want to show the high sparrow oh. burning up. They decided to particularly <laughs> show that. They wanted to make it absolutely clear that he was incinerated. They did a good job of that. <laughs> yeah. It was very clear. <laughs> I would have been very satisfied with that if he hadn't taken Marjorie with him. You know? <laughs> yeah. Everyone else, that's fine. Just, just let Marjorie get out. I kind of wanted Mace to get out of there, you know, so we could hear him sing again. Poor Mace, he was so confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's on his tombstone. Poor Mace, he was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> never did that's get hilarious. it. He was always. <laughs> that's not his tombstone. He never did quite get it. Yeah. <laughs> wrote it. <laughs> okay, let's take another audience question here. What do we have? Top most upvoted question. We've got a couple a tie here. We'll do both of them. Uh, this one's easy enough. From Corky94, if you were a show Gendry, where would you be headed? It's amazing <laughs> how much we talk about Gendry. He hasn't been, so he hasn't been around in so long. He's his absence is creates so much talk. It's, it's really, a, it's like a, I don't even know what to call it. What do you call that? Like a, it's just the ultimate loose thread, you know? Yeah. He's, uh, so I couldn't even get through the question. Anyway, the rest of the question is, back. will he go back towards the Brotherhood who sold him? Well, I think not. Would he dare head to Storm's End? Maybe speak to their interpretation of Courtney Penrose? He's He does look like Robert and Renly. Uh, so maybe he, yeah. Do, I guess we could 
add on to this question by wondering whether he'll get Storm's End or anything. The show maybe won't bother with that, but it certainly seems. I don't think possible. he'll. I don't think he'll go to Storm's End. I think it's possible that he'll end up with Storm's End, but I think he just did what Davos said and went to King's Landing. Mm. That's where he told him to go. Which makes me wonder if the show's going to surprise us and find we're going to find that he's been um, secreted away in King's Landing, um, perhaps against his will all along. Mm. You know, they, they have picked up a couple threads that we never expected them to over the last... Mm-hmm. The last few episodes, so this could be like the way the way for the show to do the Tyrek plot, Tyrek right. Lannister <laughs> version yeah. of you know we've, there's a long long held theory that Varys has got Tyrek stashed somewhere mm-hmm. to eventually be Lord mm-hmm. of Casterly Rock, and this could be well the equivalent stashed at Gendry instead. Mm-hmm. So well, what made, what made me think about this was the Littlefinger giving Olena mm-hmm. uh, the boy, yeah, the Lancel, um, which mm-hmm. was. Supposedly Lancel, but Lancel had already confessed. So I, you know, I've, I've never been. I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Olivar, the the prostitute who. who no, I thought which, that too, but it wasn't. It that only Lancel. that only hurts Loras. So you know, it's, it's yeah, there's no right. satisfaction yeah, with the various candidates. So I just had this wonder about Gendry. You know. It's, Mm. I think he, he should have done a 360 and turned back to Dragonstone, where he now rules. <laughs> on his own. He renames it Gendry Stone. <laughs> Danny's going to show up and he, he's, he's there and like Lord of the Flies. Flexing in his arms like, hey Danny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think we're generally agreed that he would not go back to the Brotherhood. Who sold <laughs> yeah, we might want revenge on them, but <laughs> but now they're doing good work. They're going to fight the walkers, and you know we got to let them do that. <laughs> I, I will say that the show has a, a tendency to wish fulfill, certainly faster than the books do. Even if the even if we're we're heading to the same place eventually, um, you know. I mean, I think Cold Hands is is a perfect example of that. So it is possible. Like ordinarily, I'd say there's no way Gendry's coming back. But I, I based on that that thing, that idea that they like to pull back old ties and make the audience, like, cheer a little bit and, like, flood somebody's inbox on Tumblr, on Twitter, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you know, I, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, Tinder. <laughs> um, I, I, I do hear Gendry's back. Gendry would do well on Twitter. I mean, Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gendry seems like more of a Snapchat guy to me. I don't know. <laughs> but honestly, if I were him, I would row until I found the first island with a clean, like, fresh water supply. And stay there. Like, Just stay there. Like, nobody yeah, else will find yeah. this, please. He went to Tarth. Tarth. Yeah. I was about to say Tarth, yeah. <laughs> Gendry of Tarth. Okay, let's move on to the next one. How about, here's one for we can everyone can answer this one. Uh, what was your favorite aspect of this season's music, plot, adaptation, photography, direction, badass scenes, etc.? Uh, I'll start this time. I went la- second to last last time. I will say music. I love the music in general. The Game of Thrones show in general has always had very strong music, but I think it took a step up this season. I've paid more attention to it than I ever have, and I always pay pretty close attention to music. I've, you know, I have a degree in music, so I'm always kind of thinking about music a lot, and that's... Yeah, this season the music has just been so good, especially episode 10. I don't think uh, that's a controversial thing to say at all, that episode 10 had amazing music, so um, I'll just leave it there. Yes, music for me. Shay, what about you? Cinematography. Yeah? 100%. Nice. Nice. 
Nothing more needs to be said. You all know. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. We'll go to David next. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the two pyromaniac scenes uh, between <laughs> Danny and Cersei. Uh, I, I'm one of the people that really liked Danny's scene. I thought it was like uber Targaryen of her to just lock everybody in the I mean, forget the whole fire immunity thing. She, it was totally insane. She locked everyone in a room, she lit everything on fire, and then she walked out like a fire goddess. I thought that was terrific. <laughs> and Cersei burning the sept was just uber Cersei. You know, I mean, it's just, it's the final thing for her to do. And whether it happens that way or not in the books, I was able to just watch that scene in the show and be like, that fits with the character, whether or not it's actually going to happen that way or not. And so I'm pretty critical on the show at times, but I thought... The two, uh, the two pyro scenes were really good. <laughs> right on. Okay, uh, Lady Gwen. Um, I think the the things you you know, music and cinematography, great. Uh, and the music is outstanding. But I'm going to go with costuming hmm. uh, yeah, because nice. they had a new costume designer this year, so it easily could have, you know, been different. It, it's mm. always been so good. Michelle Clapton was good, but I'm um, very sorry, I can't remember the new designer's yeah. name, but she just did a fantastic job continuing cool. in that thing. So. Good answer. All right, Michal, what about you? Um, I guess uh, everything that you guys have mentioned was spectacular, obviously, um, but I'll say logic. Like, there were a lot of, of flaws in this season's logic, but compared to last year, <laughs> which was, pardon my language, but a serious clusterfuck, I like, <laughs> you know, I just, it, there were just scenes that were like, I was like, okay, yeah, for the most part, I can actually go along with this. And, like, that was totally fine. And last season, I really, I couldn't do that most of the time. Um, yeah. And there were gaping holes of several plot lines that I was just like, oh, good, we're going back here. This is terrible. Um, and and this season was, as, as flawed as it was, I just thought overall held together uh, on a story level much, much more strongly than, than last year and even maybe season four. With the exception of Arya. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Very notable exception of Arya. Yes. Yes. Arya scenes this season made past Arya scenes worse, too. It wasn't just... Yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of undermined the previous seasons as well. Tony, what's your pick? All the special effects I thought were great this year. Every one of them that they did throughout the whole season, whether it was the people getting hung, that looked great. Whether the dragons looked great, the fire looked great, the whole battle of the bastards looked great. Everything mm -hmm. to do with special effects, they nailed all the special effects this year. It's pretty cool that all of us have said something different so far. Uh -huh. Let's see if Yoke Boy has <laughs> something unique also, or whether we've used up all the good ones. No pressure. <laughs> you have ones I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, follow you Aziz and say the music right. I think I think that sequence in episode 10 just blew me away and I uh, I really loved like you say they they went up a gear and they made something special and the music was such a big part of it so I think uh, along to with what you're saying and along with what Tony was saying as well there's I think we can expect to see this remain a factor the last two seasons. I think they noticed the music, the response to the music was so overwhelming that they're, they can't help but pay attention to that and we might see them do some similar things even though we're not getting Miguel Sapochnik next year which is a real bummer. Um, but but I, I, I have to think that 
all of the directors are like being sat down in front of that episode and going like, hey, this is what you have to do. Yes. Like, the, the bar has been raised, I think, beyond my subhachan. Yeah. Yeah, particularly with episode 10. I mean, the battle is what it was, but episode 10 was more of the stuff that we'll see a lot of on Game of Thrones as far as the acting and all the... Mm-hmm. Cinematography and I mean, yeah, the music, everything that everyone said. I mean, it was on a really high level. I think we're going to be seeing more, like Tony said, the the special effects. We're going to be seeing a lot more of that. The last two seasons True. is coming. This things climax. We're going to get more dragons. Hopefully, ice we spiders. Get yeah, ice spiders. <laughs> Come on, ice spiders, etc. Um, all whatever other creatures, sphinxes, unicorn, whatever they're going to do. <laughs> and they they managed to make Danny look good on on the back of a dragon. Like, it did look way better this time. Yeah. It was it was never-ending story yeah, in yeah. season five. Yeah. This time it looked, yeah. yeah. The behind the scenes is really cool. It looks like she's riding like a bucking bronco type thing. You know, she's got the handles and everything. It definitely <laughs> they definitely did a better job with that. <laughs> okay, next question. We're gonna keep going until uh, we've gone about two hours now. We're gonna go a little longer. We still got a lot of questions left, so I think you know we'll, we'll keep it going for a little bit longer before we yeah. say our goodbyes. Oh, hold on. Let me say something for the benefit of Yoke Boy and Lady Gwyn. Sure. How did nobody, when we're talking about creatures we want to see, how did nobody say squishers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> squishers. Very good point. <laughs> I, would just want, I want the reaction cam on Yoke Boy and Lady Gwyn when the squisher squishes onto the, onto the screen. Priceless. <laughs> Actually, that, that should be a spin-off. Forget yeah. what I said about the spin-off being about the long night. It should just be about squishes, I think. <laughs> just a dick, the Dick Crab show. <laughs> you guys you guys just lost it. You couldn't keep it straight at all when you started talking about squishes. No, <laughs> never again. <laughs> squish, squish. Belly Jurah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. Let's uh, let's see. We go down here. Let's see. You want, you, do you have one you you picked out that you want to want to answer? Yeah. Okay. This one. Sure. Okay. Oh, that's that's a, that's a, that's a good one. I yeah, it's from one. the Canadian dude. Who would you say is your favorite made for the TV show character? So a character not in the books at all. Uh, I'm gonna start. I'm I'm starting because I don't want you guys to take my answer. Not that we we can't. Say the same thing. Uh, Carsey. Carsey. Ooh, that's Killed a pretty it. good one. Yeah, that was good. Small and then role. Died herself. One and done, but it was a good, really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I have to. I... We want me to. Does anyone have? Uh, yeah, an someone's got ready? one ready. Go ahead, because I got to think about this one. Think about it. Can name some other. Oof. Yeah, I, I'm just drawing blanks here. Uh, <laughs> so many of them are like similar versions of existing characters. Okay, can I uh, go against popular opinion and say I thought Roz was pretty different oh, yeah. at the time. I thought she was quite quite a good actress, actually. I thought that it, it brought an interesting dynamic to the show to see a prostitute with value. So, yeah, I'd, I'll well, say Roz uh, was my second choice, and I would have picked her, except Carsey was in only one episode and was still up against her, so I figured mm-hmm. she was my yeah. pick. But Roz was a good character, and she... I, her death was really tragic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Hmm. I really can't come up with one. I'm <laughs> I know I'm gonna, as soon as we're done, I'm gonna be like, oh wait. It was... What, what about the What about the guy in in the uh, Citadel? Oh, the new. Oh Maester. yeah, the new the the Danish Maester guy. Yeah. Maester. Okay. Sure. I'll go with him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I won't yeah. go with Miranda. <laughs> yeah, um, not Miranda. No. no. I won't pick her either. She has essentially just made up. Yeah. 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 Yara, that's, that's pretty interesting. I don't know. Yara, that's a good she one. She seems almost tailor-made for Westeros. Oh, <laughs> almost. Let's go with that. They changed her name, and they changed many things about her. So. Okay, yeah, that's the safe answer for everyone who hasn't thought of one. We'll go with Yara, yeah. Okay. I actually agree with Yoke Boy's point, though, about Roz. I, I, I thought the hate was way overblown in that uh, if, she, if you're going to show uh, all this prostitution and naked ladies, you need to show, like, the cost of it. And I thought her character did a good job of that. And the idea that you followed her from Winterfell to the big city and see her end up, you know, killed by Joffrey in a stunt pulled by Peter Baelish and a kind of, I mean, that's, that's the story of Westeros and power right there. I mean, that's, that's a real story that they told. I thought that was good. Right on. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? All right. I guess not. We'll guess go ahead and move on to the next one. What do we have here? Mm. This is another oh, wait. oh, wait. I have one. Yeah. Oh, cool. Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> <There> you, <go. laughs> you and Tony are going to have to have a little fighter. <laughs> I feel so that's... Good for that kid. I just, I just I do, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Okay, so all right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, oh, wait. I do have one. Oh. Right here on my shirt. Oh. Night King. Yeah. I don't know if he's a book character or not. I kind of don't think he is. Uh, I mean, not in the, if he is, he's very, very different. Yeah. So he's pretty cool. He's pretty intimidating. He's, yeah. uh, you know, TV villain, badass, a bad guy. Mm -hmm. He killed... Killed the three-eyed raven, you know. Yeah. I'll go with that. All right. I'm glad I figured something out. <laughs> I'll go with White Walker number three. <laughs> Which is that? The bearded one or the one? Oh, oh a lot long hair. I like the long flowing hair. Like, that guy's awesome. <laughs> Whichever one didn't kill Sam. That's the one. <laughs> let, let Sam live. That guy, he gets my vote. Yes. Okay. What else has a lot of upvotes? What do we have here? This one was kind of fun. Sure. Okay. From Ashley Wigar, if you could recruit Melisandre or Thoros or Kyburn or <laughs> to bring back any one character from the dead, who would it be and why? Could it could be a character we've seen in the book slash show or just someone from the history that we've heard of? Hmm. Very cool question. Uh, I bring back Septon Barth because ever the realm was in good shape when he was help hand of the king. And uh, you see what the... it's like when someone gets brought back after a long time. He's gonna be like, yeah, he'll be a skeleton. Yeah, he'd just be like a <laughs> one thing on his mind. <laughs> Who else has a suggestion? Who would you bring back from the dead? Ned Stark, baby. Ned Stark, headless <laughs> Ned. <laughs> this is this is problematic because of what you said. Like what happens to these, you know, the implications of bringing someone back? They're they're not really themselves. But if they were going to be themselves, yeah, let's pretend they're whole. They're, let's uh, just pretend know. that they're uh, like the best that they could be. They're not going to come back as Lady Stoneheart. Mm -hmm. um, then I would go with Ned too. Cool. All right. Who else has one? McCall, do you have somebody? Mm. Ah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting. I I do feel like Ned would uh, tie up a lot of things. Although at this point in the story, I'm not really sure like what he could do. Mm. Um, like you know, maybe book three, Ned would have been really helpful. Right um, now, he'd just be know. like, oh god. Right, it's too far gone, you know. <laughs> the question is, the question um, is, are we talking about headless Ned or Ned's head in a jar? 
<laughs> like in Futurama, yeah, I love it. Yes, Futurama. He could be next head in a jar if people will listen to him. I mean, like, you know, they just kind of Maybe. need, like, the, the one thing Ned was good at, which was sort of, like, sometimes getting to the heart of things, you know, in, 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 in an honest and compassionate way um, that did him absolutely no good at all, but I think people could use that at this point. <laughs> Tony, do you have one? You're gonna, I know you're not going to say Ollie, but you might say Stannis. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely say Stannis. There's no doubt if I had to bring back anyone, especially, you know, in the show, Stannis. He ain't dead in the books. He, he didn't deserve to get treated like that or go out like that. He really did. I actually think Stannis, they kind of under, they as much as they botched some of, or quite a bit of Stannis' arc, they, season six actually made Stannis' arc even worse because they showed how close his camp was to Winterfell and the weird, the timing of that weather being all yeah. This doesn't really work in retrospect. Like, why was it so snowy when winter hadn't even come? And like, yeah, it just, it just, it wasn't good writing. Yeah. <laughs> they just, it's flying. They it's just flying. wanted John to be the hero, and yeah, they took exactly all Stannis', Stannis yeah. role and gave it to John. Yeah. This you know, is like I, our perspective of when you guys down in the in the south have a little snowstorm. Um, <laughs> do you burn your children? Stannis must have been from like South Carolina or something. We don't have children, uh, but that's why. <laughs> Actually, I'll ever... see your Stannis and I'll raise you a Shireen, just because in terms of a like not un undeserved, horrible, sucky death. That yeah. was yeah, Shireen. That's mm -hmm. a good, that's one. A good yeah, answer. That's a good one. What's yours? Uh, I was just going to say, I'm still fuming about the fact that Theon and Sansa jumped off the walls when there was like two inches of snow oh. on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's all. We can, we can go on. It's sad uh, that Theon's lie at the beginning of the season that Sansa was dead because she fell and broke her leg and he left her there makes more sense than what actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. Okay, I guess mine will be... Hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to go with Shireen also, just because I felt really bad. I don't know. It's not a great answer. I mean, I, I, I maybe I'll just stick with Barth. I'll stick with Barth. Okay. <laughs> I like my Barth oh, yeah, answer, even though okay, I've Shireen got is just answer. as hard to bring back. She's a charred remain. Uh -huh. He's a you know, 200 yeah, year old we're... corpse. Yeah, back. Oh, <laughs> he's a, he's a pile that. of ashes, we're talking agreed. ashes. <laughs> uh, okay, I got a couple picks. My first one is Tywin, just just so he can see the destruction of his house. Oh, just to stick your, it to Tywin. Your Dornish, uh, <laughs> a lot. Your your Dornish allegiance is showing through here. Yeah, no, but my real answer is Shireen, though. Okay. As long as she's not a pile of ashes. <laughs> Did we get everybody? Did Yoke Boy go? No, can I change okay. my? Sorry. Um, my I, I wouldn't bring anyone back. Valamogulis. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. I was just gonna say, can I change my answer to Balerion? But I think your boy's right. Oh, that dragon action. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. <laughs> I would really like Tywin to come back actually as a head in a jar. So like all of us just like watch mutely as everyone destroys his legacy. <laughs> Put him on the windowsill while Cersei exactly. blows up King's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is like, bye, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to build like a golden toilet and then stick his head on top of that. <laughs> Sorry, that's, we're just getting cool now. <laughs> okay, let's take a couple more. Um, what do we have here? What do you think of this one? Sure. Okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, interesting thought. 
from Ninja's Ounce, <laughs> or Ninja S-O-Z, I never know, uh, Theon Greyjoy may have a natural child. If the captain's daughter, who once, in fear of her father, begged to be Theon's soul wife, were, were to present his child to Theon, how would he react? He was so dismissive of her before, but things have changed radically. Yeah, especially if it's a male child and there's, you know, Euron is killed or is challenged for the, the sea stone chair. A, a, a son born from Theon would maybe have a better chance than Theon, although I can't see them ever electing a baby to the king's mood. But yeah, he could, it would allow him to take the king to, to be the king because he has an heir. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think, exactly. Uh, I, I agree with all that, but I think the greater significance to me would just be for Theon himself personally that he, he, has, he, a has, a, he has a child, he has a descendant, he could be a father, something he never thought he could be or maybe hasn't given much thought to, but I would wager it's crossed his mind now. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe, yeah, because he's now he's like, I can never procreate, blah, 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 but yeah, that's he has a kid. Then... I don't think that, that, that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, anyone else have a take on this one? It's a pretty interesting question. That's, yeah, that's a, a good thought. A unique, I wanted to bring it up idea. just for that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think there was maybe much for us to say about it, though. David, did you have uh, a take on that? No, I mostly agree with what Ashea was saying. Oh, okay, right on. All right. Uh, we can move on. <clears throat> yeah, let's do that one about. One, that's got a ton the top of top one. Here. This is the, uh, not actually the top of but They don't have them in order. Anyways. I know. It's weird they don't sort them in order. <laughs> okay. In Season 5, Episode 7, Olena tells Littlefinger, I promise you, Lord Baelish, that our fates are joined. Together we murdered a king, and if my house should fall, I would have nothing to hide. Her house has fallen, so how slash when do you think this could come into play? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that it matters anymore because she is now fully an enemy of the Lannisters. She's declared herself openly to be against the Lannisters, and why wouldn't she? You know, the Lannisters killed her family. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's a problem that she murdered Joffrey now. Uh, but maybe I haven't thought it through enough. Do you got anyone else have a take on that? Yes, it, it could be a problem for Littlefinger if he tries, you know, to do a Littlefinger and play both sides of the fence and, you know, make nice with Cersei. Um, remember that she was the one that promised him the goods if he uh, got Sansa, you know, Sansa and the warden, wardenship of the North and all that stuff. So mm. if he tries to play that, then Melena has, you know, this ammunition against him. You killed her son. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyone else? I don't really see Littlefinger leaving the North. Um, I, I feel like they're they're locked in some kind of, for now, for me, inscrutable power play slash manipulation, you know, he and Sansa, and I mean, like, because he's spilled his cards, right? Like, he's, he's said, like, I want to be on the Iron Throne, and you're going to be my loving queen. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so we we have that in mind as his like goal, right? Um, so I don't I don't know. Ironically, I don't know if that could actually be accomplished in the South, because Cersei's just such a like. There's no politics you can play with Cersei at this point. Like she's she's pure. She's she's wildfire basically, you know. Right. Mm. Well, I could say you know if Cersei's going to be very angry with Jon Snow being the king in the North, and Littlefinger could well try to set himself in opposition to that. In, hmm. in her mind, uh, but they've confused his arc so much because I really don't think that the Iron Throne is what he wants in the books either, so I think you're right. It, he's going to stay in the North because that's where I think he's going to stay anyways, so. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, 
I want to. Here's another one from from James Gamat Clark. When will all the various spy masters and great lords of Westeros in general learn about the White Walkers? Because <laughs> that is obviously they can't escape their notice so much longer. It's a lot of them maybe don't believe the stories they've heard. But as we pointed out earlier with the, the question from whoever that was, that pointed out that now the Veilman and Littlefinger have seen the giant, and it, you know maybe it won't be long before they see even worse. Um, but how will the, will the South be convinced of this? These are all very interesting questions that are kind of hard to figure out how they'll play out. I'm more interested in how this will play out in the books because I think the show will kind of just gloss over some of it and kind of leave some of it unsaid because they don't have time to address it. But it's still a very good question. Uh, I, yeah, I think that Varys is, you know, he, even though he's in the books, he's he's in Westeros. He's not spent didn't spend all this time in Marine, so he's got to. He thinks like he's got to be aware by now. But what is he thinking of of it? You know, what is his opinion of this of this problem? Does it? I got uh, a real I, simple answer for you, Aziz. Go for mm -hmm. it. So, when the sun doesn't come out anymore, that's when <laughs> everyone. That's when people will take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, when it's too late. Uh, well, not that maybe they could have done much about it in the first place. No, the, but once the one, if people are running around saying, "Hey, the White Walkers are coming," they'll believe you if there's like not been a sun for like a month or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, you, and it, may, it leads to another question, like how how deep will the long night, the new long night, actually get? Like how devastating and how long will how long will the long night last <laughs> right because we're told the white walkers invade when the long night falls meaning like if the sun comes out every day they have to pause if the, there's no sun they can just wage 24-hour war and that's when they invade they need it to be cold they need the sun to go away so yeah. we haven't seen anything close to the full might of the white walkers i don't think Tony, let's get your take on this. I know you you do uh, the White Walkers. You're one of your one of your favorite things to talk about and cover. So I want to hear what you have to say about this. He's muted. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was muted. Uh, the question is. I'm sorry. Say it again. He's running back. You're, we're talking about the uh, the white. What's going to make the lore, great lords of Westeros and spymasters right. realize <laughs> that the threat of the White Walkers is real? I just don't know if it's going to be that important in the show at all. I think they're just all going to go with it. You see in the books already, you know, Sam tells a story, people believe him and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's really going to be a situation where they're going to have to be convinced or someone's going to send a raven to them and they're going to spread the word. I think when the wall falls, everyone will hear it and everyone will know what the deal is going on. So mm. I think that's what will happen. That might be a simpler thing for the show to do. You wonder, yeah, David suggested that it'll be fully dark. Um, and that'll that'll be enough to convince people. And I like I like that idea. I hadn't really thought about it. It's just kind of obvious when you think about it that way. Like, well, that certainly would make people pay attention. But yeah, what are they going to do about it? <laughs> just die, I suppose. <laughs> At least they'll they'll start listening to the battle commanders when they tell when they tell them, look, forget whatever you're doing and come, you know, man the the wall here or man, you know, Mount <laughs> Caitlin or whatever. Right on. Okay, um, from. Battle Rager. We have Winter is here in Westeros. How do you think that will impact Danny's invasion, and how do you think her troops will survive? Have her or any of her people even experienced levels of cold slash climate like that? Is there enough food for people and troops? We talked about this a bit in a previous episode, how it actually seems really important. It is one of the things that could really undermine Danny because we talked about how she seems like a juggernaut with her Dothraki and Unsullied and dragons. Well, the Unsullied are used to handling extremes. They're, it's part of their training. 
although they may not have a lot of cold weather training. But the Thraki, ah, I think that's a real big problem the winter for them, and especially the food issue. I don't think the show will address this. I mean, Benjen's riding a living horse in the north, for uh-huh. example. Like, it doesn't even look like an undead horse. I don't think that's going to matter to the show. Uh-huh. But in the books, George <laughs> does not let these things go. It's not even not. an undead horse, guys. It's not even a moose. Here. <laughs> that, was so, a, that was a great moment in Nerd Rage right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that the cold will, for the dragons and the and the Dothraki in particular will be a real problem, and I don't have any idea how she's going to handle that, but I think that could be a real showstopper. She should have married an Ebenezer guy. Yeah. <laughs> These guys don't wear shirts. I mean, it's you know, well and good for television, but... <laughs> bottom bottom line is that like a three-year winter is fairly impractical like just from a baseline perspective in order to survive a three-year winter you'd have to take unbelievable precautions and safeguards and things and population management and all that i don't even know if that's even possible so if you're bringing in all these thousands of new mouths to a Westerosi winter that's just been war ravaged and doesn't have food stores for the most part, it's going to be a problem, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, this is something that Jamie thinks about, and I'm sorry if you can hear that airplane, um, in, in Feast, right? Like he's walking around and he's like, okay, cool, like we've had a ton of war here and nobody's planted and winter's coming. You know, and I mean, that's, that's just like the baseline population, you know, conveniently decimated by a recent war, so I, right. I don't know. I wonder if the show will like get into that level of practicality. I do expect George will address it in one way or another. Possibly Danny like turning the populace against her because she just steals all their food. Um, like I can see her doing that and being like, oh, "I'm so sorry, still love me, etc." Um, but I, I don't know if the show will will bother. You know, the show did bring up a while ago that that the Reach was supplying King's Landing with food. So if they want to bring that up as something that Cersei's going to struggle with, not that she doesn't have plenty to struggle with already, they've got that option, but I kind of... I would expect Cersei to be struggling with that, that, for that to be one of the major things. And I wonder where we're going to pick up with Cersei, by the way. Are we going to see her a month into her reign and people are starving on the streets and it's just a hellscape or Jamie's, what? you know, mad at her or whatever, trying yeah. to convince or her. Or are we going to pick up right from that moment, which I would kind of expect because ha- there has to be a conversation between Jamie and Cersei right there that we should see. Mm-hmm. So I, that's a little bit of a digression, but I do think that will be a big issue for Cersei. I don't know how much I see it being an issue for Daenerys in the show, though. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I think probably because a lot of times when they show it in the show, like battle scenes, it's usually the cavalry that comes in and saves the day. And the snow, she won't be able to have that cavalry with the, the Theraki to save the day. Mm, that's a good point. Okay, anyone else have a take on that one? I think, uh, I think we can leave it there. We've had a nice long episode here. We went a little over two hours. I want to... Thank everybody for sending in your questions, and of course, again, I apologize that we could not get to them all. There was a really, really large number of questions that we did not get to. So save those a questions, lot. folks. You may, you'll have other opportunities. We'll do other Q and A's since a lot. Of, we're basically we're talking about the show and books here. You guys can certainly. We'll be doing more book Q and A's as the year goes on. It's a regular thing that we do here at History of Westeros, and. We will certainly consider the possibility of bringing some of you lovely guests back for one of our Q&As or multiple Q&As. It's, been, say, it's always really fun. When Aziz started his sentence saying there were a lot of questions, 
It took me until just now to actually scroll down to the bottom of all of the questions that we received. And that's just through the Q&A app. We, that doesn't count so, the event wall, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, et cetera. There's just, whew, yeah. So we, uh, we really appreciate all the questions. We certainly appreciate our awesome guests here. So let's go around the horn. Everyone, tell everyone again who you are, where to find you, and what's next for your channel slash podcast, et cetera. So David, we'll start with you. All right. You can go to lucifermeanslightbringer.com and pretty much find all of my stuff there. I've got the podcast, and I have uh, blog essays that match the podcast. I'm going to put one new one out today, actually. Awesome. Uh, as, soon, as soon as we get off uh, the horn here. So right that's on. pretty good much time. Oh, and I also just started a Patreon, uh, which has yeah. uh, got a really good start in the last three weeks. So. Awesome. Everybody's yeah. doing it. I'm doing it too. You can find a link on luciferMeansLightbringer.com. Cool. All right. Everybody check that out. And of course, uh, Radio Westeros will hit you guys next. Uh, most of you are very familiar with Radio Westeros by now, but just in case you need another reminder, and it's a good chance for you guys to let everybody know what's next for you. Yeah, okay. So come and uh, give us a listen at RadioWesteros.com. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can reach all of our podcasts through either one of those places. Uh, and what is coming up next, within the next couple of days, we are going to be releasing an, an episode all about the Blackfire Theory. Oh, yeah, Blackfire Theory. That's a big one, one of the fandom's favorites. So mm -hmm. yeah. I'm looking forward to that, too. And you guys have a guest for that as well, right? Uh, actually, we have a guest. It's This is going to be part of a two-part look at Aegon VI. The first one is going to be all about the conspiracy. It's going to focus pretty heavily on Barris and Lirio and Blackfires. Mm. Part two will focus on Aegon VI himself and his invasion, and we will have a guest with us for that, uh, Brendan B. Fish from Boards and Politics, Advice and Fire. All right. Jeff Coming out of mini retirement. That's good. <laughs> yeah. He's right. not retired. <laughs> I know. I know. No, he's still very active. <laughs> uh, McCall, what about you? Uh, you can, well, I mean, I guess in terms of hypeable stuff, I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and hopefully, I don't know if I'll be able to cover the actual Game of Thrones panel because that, uh, as, as cons do, collides with a few other things I'm doing. Um, but if anyone wants to stop and say hi and tell me how much Ollie sucks, definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a debate on the floor. That's, there's no problem. Um, I'll be the super short one. Um, and yeah, for Vassals of the Kingsgrave, we are continuing our, I actually haven't been on any of these episodes, but they are great, um, a linear reread of uh, Ice and Fire, um, which are, are done by some of my fabulous co-hosts and really great and in-depth and funny discussion. And I'm also leading a Harry Potter reread right now. So if anybody's interested in that, come check that out because it's there's a lot of wand jokes. Like, a lot. <laughs> More than I anticipated. <laughs> All right. And Tony, tell people what you've got coming and where to find you. You can find me, the Don Tony Toughline, on Toughline TV on YouTube. One word will be investigate and debate a song of ice and fire, Game of Thrones, and make up all my own original theories, and they really do come true. So yeah. you should check me out there if you want to get into that and talk about Game of Thrones. I'd love to have you over there. Thank you, Aziz and SAF, for having me here. I really do appreciate it. Right on, Tony. Thanks for coming. So I, real quick as well, as we sign off here, I also want to make a few recommendations. Of course, my top recommendations are for Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire. You've, you've already just heard them. These are my top recommendations. But 
as we move into regular podcast territory, all of us are going to be putting out episodes a little less frequently than we do during the show season, I would imagine, because you know there's not as much new material coming out. It isn't a new thing every week to talk about. So I every once in a while I like to throw out recommendations for non-Game of Thrones podcasts. So you all, all you guests are welcome to throw out some, but I'll start as well. My favorites from recent minds, I'm a big podcast consumer on the, on the side. Um, while I'm doing chores or exercising or what have you. I like the Pirate History Podcast. That's a big new favorite of mine. He does a very in-depth uh, research and coverage of the situation in Europe that led to the situation in the Caribbean with the uh, golden age of piracy. It's really, really well done. The podcaster, Matt, has a great voice as well, great delivery. It's a really, really well-made show. My all-time favorite is Hardcore History. I'm also a huge fan of History on Fire by Daniel Ibelelli. He just did a series on Crazy Horse. And looks like Lady Gwyn, you wrote in Medieval Death Trip. I like that show as well. Uh, you want to mention that one? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't, we've never talked about it, but I think that's a great one. If you're, if you're a serious history nerd, uh, they take primary medieval sources, uh, chronicles, and the like, and make them really interesting. <laughs> yeah, these are like small-scale stories, like real, like, like a, they find like a letter that someone wrote to their husband in the in the 1200s and they just break it down and figure out like all these things about it just like about this what society was like like really base level stuff it's really interesting it's really interesting, interesting and stuff about language and all that stuff too so right on anyone else have recommendations you want to throw out it's a good time for it uh yeah i've just gotten obsessed with this podcast called my favorite murder which is mm -hmm. um two uh comedian ladies discuss murder a lot mm -hmm. um, and it's it, <laughs> They definitely have a specific tone, so like you have to kind of get used to that. But they're really, um, they're really funny, and I think they, you'll just learn a lot of stuff about different murder cases uh, that I don't think you would have known before. So, hmm. I guess there might be a bigger demand for new podcasts out in the world of people walking around looking for Pokemon. You gotta, you gotta be listening <laughs> oh, to something while you're out and out and about. <laughs> also, don't die when you do that, please. <laughs> 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 yeah, please. So yes, just don't die in general. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I've everybody. Got, I've got one for you. Uh, oh, there's okay, one cool. called uh, Writing Excuses, and oh, this Brandon is a Sanderson. podcast. What's that? Brandon Sanderson's yeah. podcast. Yeah, totally. I, I, some people may have heard of it, but if you're a writer, you don't listen to that. I don't know what you're doing. It's like <laughs> little 15 to 18 minute podcasts, and they're divided by a subject, so you can look up like how to write the other gender, or how to write a good villain, or how to write. A little bit of comedy inside of a fantasy and it's all super organized by topic The hosts are very funny they're all writers Sanderson's one of them if you guys just if, if anybody was thinking about checking that out definitely do I'd love that podcast they got eight eight or nine seasons I think worth of stuff Wow yeah. you know I, there's one more I forgot to mention that I'm a big fan of it's called our thing an organized crime podcast and it's a pretty small show but he's got a lot of episodes out and it's really good there's so many interesting you know gang stories from around the world. He doesn't just he doesn't focus on just the you know the regular Italian mafia. There's the Mexican mafia and the the he hasn't done the Chinese mafia yet, but I'm sure well one day he's done Italians and all these just great it's really really good show, really uh really well made. So those are those are a bunch of good recommendations. But from us what's coming next is the Forsaken chapter episode. We've got way more than we intended on writing about this one. This episode's really big, but we I we're pretty sure we're going to record it this week, and that means you'll be seeing it maybe seven to ten days, roughly. Don't quote me on that. Don't say days. Don't don't give dates. Okay, days. just sometime this month. 
<laughs> it's only the 11 stock, and I think that's not that's not uh, too that's much not leeway. Too crazy to so yeah, so we'll be, we're really excited to deliver that. It's a really awesome chapter, and we've got some a lot of other things coming. We're going to do. We'll get back to do it. We got to finish that bitter steel episode. We got a lot of work on that. David and us are going to work on our Great Empire of the Dawn episode. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've also got the next Patreon Voters episode, which is the Oracles of A Song of Ice and Fire. That's going to talk about Dolores Head and Old Man. Dolores Head was a funny one to mention first there. Uh, the Ghost of High Heart, you know, Patchface, all these characters that seem to tell the future. And that'll be fun. So we've got a ton on our plate, so we'll be putting those out regularly as always. I didn't do our Patreon credits this time. Um, we'll just go ahead and give that a pass because we're really running late here. But thanks to all Patreon supporters of all levels, everyone who's watched and listened and commented as well. If you if you give us a review on iTunes or if you tell your friends, we're very thankful. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to spread the word about not just us, but all these other fine folks who joined us as guests today. Hope you check their channels out if you haven't already. I know a lot of you already were aware of some of these people, so definitely give them a look. Thanks, everybody, for an awesome season six. It was really fun covering it all and being a part of the community and doing this all together. So signing off, we'll be back soon with book topics. And Valor Morgulis.